all took the time um, this Sunday afternoon and evening to, to come and get to learn more about uh, what, what hearing from God is really on about. Uh, we have a really special guest speaker, David Niebel. You guys want to? David is a campus pastor with CCF up at Western Washington University. And get this, he's been doing this for 25 years. Longer than many of you have been born. Uh, what? <laughs> Definitely longer than you've been born. I doubt it took many people 25 years for birth, but that being said, um, you know, it could happen. Um, so David's a really, really neat guy. Uh, I'm not sure how much, David, you plan to tell about your family, but I want to tell it a little bit. He's got four kids, uh, and he's fostering an 18-month-old right now, which gives you some insight into to David's heart. But David is a guy that I can remember in 2004 when I first went to Sikkim as a freshman at UTD. God help us. Um, God help the staff at the time. Um, I remember going to Sikkim uh, in 2004 and hearing David speak about evangelism. Um, and it was just this really, really impactful thing. I can still remember a lot from what he shared. I haven't shared this with him. I wanted to save it. Um, so um, I can remember we went out on the square at Western Washington, and we did this, uh, this basically this evangelism thing that was like Lord of the Rings. And what we did was like it was like orcs uh, versus like the forces of light. And then um, it was just like a cardboard like army. Like everyone had like cardboard shields and swords and stuff. And we just fought. It was really fun. Um, and then David got up and just kind of started preaching the gospel uh, there on campus and inviting people in, and we had some really cool conversations from it. Um, but David's a really, really neat guy. I respect him a ton, um, and I really can't wait to, to get to hear from him tonight. Um, so, David, if you want to come on up, I'm going to say a prayer for you, and then uh, we'll let you do the rest of the talking tonight. Uh, leave me out of it. Let me say a prayer for you here. God, I want to thank you so much for your servant, David. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for just how much um, work that he's done uh, up at Western Washington, Father. And I thank you that, um, that he's just been a loyal servant of yours for so many years. I pray, God, that you would speak through him tonight uh, and that you would help us all to gain a better understanding of what it looks like to hear you speak uh, through him. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, hand off. Thank you. Thanks, Garrett. Thank you so much. Let me just get this on real quick. There we go. Maybe. There we go. There we go. Excellent. Well, I was just getting, you know, kind of running through my notes and praying a little bit before I got here. So Derek's dogs were helping me. And... Uh, Climbing on my lap, and I felt so loved, so supported by those dogs. They are, they are, they're wonderful. I felt, I felt so loved here. We just, we, you guys, what a rich, rich community you're part of here. And so we just are super honored to, you know, be a part. Have you guys come up to Bellingham? How many have come up to Bellingham or Sikkim? Man. That's phenomenal. I hope many more of you will come if you haven't yet. Um, and we, you know, we love, I think we're sending some teams down here during spring break. And so it's just a really rich relationship we get to have with y'all down there. We've, we've benefited so much. You guys, you've taught me so much. I, it's, it's because of focus that I, you know, we learned what a real barbecue was 
because we used to always we used to always tell we tell Brandon and the crew, oh yeah, we come out, we're gonna do a barbecue for you guys to kick it off. And um, and then you know they you guys would show up and I guess it's called like a cookout. There's some burgers and hot dogs and everybody's kind of like, where's where's the barbecue? <laughs> this is Northwest Barbecue. And everybody's like really disappointed, but. So we don't, you know, we probably don't want to do a brisket anyway. So, um, and, and we've really learned that y'all is a really helpful term, right? It should be in the dictionary if it's not. We'll, we kind of say you guys, and that just doesn't have the same punch. I realize that. So, um, I, you know, we learned how sweet, sweet tea is. I just had some. I, I think I'm going to go into some form of shock from the amount of <laughs> sugar that's just racing through my body right now. But it, it was good stuff, right? It's good stuff. And I think what we have really learned, and just by having, being connected with you and setting teams down, is um, that you all have a great gift of hospitality. You actually teach us quite a bit how to be hospitable and how to be friendly and welcoming because, you know, us Northwesterners, you know, we just all kind of can be a little clammy because we're all wet and stuff. And so, um, so we just, uh, we really do treasure the relationship we have with y'all. So it's an honor to be here. I'm a little bummed that the weather is raining. I mean, what's up with that? I came down, I left rain. I was looking for some sunshine, but that's okay. There's a lot of sunshine in here. We're feeling the love here. So... I know, that was pretty cheesy, but, um, so I'm going to jump in, and just, I, I did have a picture of my family, so we can throw that up there, I'm going to be getting a clicker, I think, at some point, so, but, quick, picture of my family, is that coming up, here it comes, and imagine them, it's over there, and it's there, I don't know if you can see that, but I have four kids, um, Josiah, Bennett, Dawson, Sadie, ages 22 to 15, um, and they, my, my wife, Shelly, we've been married for 25 years, and so I'm just super blessed. And we are foster parenting an 18-month-old named Amaluna. That's the next slide. I need to read. Oh, look it. Sirach's got a clicker, so uh, let's try it. Let's try it. <laughs> yeah. Right, anyone at you? Are you still up here? Oh, back it up. Back it up. Back it up. There you go. Okay. I got it. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so that's Almarina, and that's my daughter, Sadie. And so you'll hear a little bit more about that through the evening, because I'll share a little bit about that story as it pertains to our topic. But uh, she's, she's delightful, beautiful, and keeps us on our toes and gets me up early in the morning, which is probably good for me. So, um, so when I was asked to do this topic, um, I was both, I would say I was both excited and nervous. Super excited because I really get jazzed about this topic, about hearing God's voice. I took a class at it at Regent College up at uh, Vancouver in British Columbia um, by, in fact, the author, you know, I'll, I'll mention him quite a bit. He, the author of the book, was in, uh, the guy who taught the class. And so I'm super excited. Uh, it's an area that gets me jazzed that I can actually hear God's voice in my own life. Um, I feel like it's an area I'm growing in. I haven't arrived, so I, you know, I, I know what you're expecting. I, I don't know if you're expecting me to have, you know, here's personal words for you or something. And 
probably is not going to happen, so I hope you're not disappointed with that. Um, but I am uh, really drawn to this topic. And you're here for something. Now, you might just be here for the pizza or because your campus pastor told you you had to come. So but my hope is that there is something that drew you here beyond, beyond that. Um, this idea, and um, if you have, make sure you have your outlines out and start kind of working through that. But this idea um, that it's part of our deep desire as Christians. I'm assuming that most of us desire, as followers of Christ, to have the assurance to know that God loves us. And he doesn't just love us at a distance, but kind of in a, what I'd say, an up-close and very personal way. That he would actually know your name. He knows where you live. He knows the details of your life. And that he desires to interact with you in a very personal way. That he desires to speak to you in a very specific way about the actual details of your life. I think probably most of it's at uh, some level, when we think about our faith, think about having this kind, this is a desire of ours. To not know God at second hand, or, you know, the God of my campus pastor, but to know God personally at a very deep, intimate level where he is speaking to me. Gordon Smith has a, uh, a quote in his book, uh, The Voice of Jesus, and I, I pulled it there for you. Surely what we long for is an authentic interior life. I should probably, I think we've got that, yeah. An authentic interior life in which we know to the core of our being that the Spirit of God is present to us and speaking life to us in a way that is personally and dynamically our own. And I just think that's, that's I know I desire that. When I read my Bible, I see that in the Bible. God speaking to people in very personal ways. And I actually think that's God's great desire for us, too, that we would hear his voice. John 10, 3-4, the scripture there, says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I think it's God's great desire that we would know his voice, that we would hear him say our own name. That I would hear him say, David. I've begun to just, as I talk with people, what I think I hear the Lord say to me, I, I have started just saying, I think the Lord says this to me. And I say, he says, David, and I, then I fill in what I think he's saying. And I found that to be helpful. It makes it, it's like, wow, the Lord is actually speaking personally to me by name. And I think the scripture invites us into that. So now I realize this is a great big group, by the way. This is this is amazing. Yes, thank you all for coming. Um, but I realize in a group this size, there's going to be a spectrum of uh, perspectives and kind of places where people are at in this topic. Um, and so I just maybe wanted to address that, just so, just so you know that I'm thinking about different groups of you here. You know, so for some of you, I think you hear this and your heart is stirred. So that's your that's your feeling there. Is stirred. That you maybe you came here specifically because of this topic. Like, yeah, I I have a hunger for this. I desire to become more aware of God's living, active presence in my life, speaking to me in a real and personal way. And maybe some of you are here, and there's a real life issue for you right now that you want to hear the Lord on. That guy, that gal, the major, 
a family situation. Uh, what am I going to do after I graduate? I think most, most of you probably want to know that, right? That there's something you are really are wanting to hear God's voice in your life on. And you just can't open up the Bible and find it. It won't say, David, after 25 years, you need to go do this in your life. You're not going to find that, right? And so you need to actually hear the Spirit speaking to you and, and communicating to you. And so maybe some of you are here, and, and this isn't just kind of theological mental gymnastics that we're doing. It's a live situation, and you really want to hear from him. And so I hope, you know, that some of the things I say will be helpful. It's a journey. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I'm 50 years old, and I'm still really learning this stuff. So you got to kind of be realistic. It, it is, it's by trial and error, and it's as we step out and, and, and just begin to walk in some of these things that we, we grow into it. Okay? But I'm hopeful it's helpful. So others of you might be hearing you're skeptical. Um, Maybe skeptical of the idea that God really speaks personally to people. You know, you've maybe we've all had this experience where you've been listening to somebody and they say, well, God told me, blah, 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 blah. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, right. God didn't tell you that. You know, your own desires told you that. Or, you know, the pizza you ate told you that. Or something told you that, but I don't think it's God. You know, and we've probably all encountered that at times. And for some, we've maybe even got this built-in default that is, I'm just skeptical. Just skeptical that, that, that God actually knows my name or interacts with me or people at a personal level. You know, maybe another thought behind this idea of skepticism could be, you know, besides we have the Bible. That's really all we need. Right? We have the Bible. Um, and I'm going to say something that don't don't throw whatever you would throw at me. I don't know what what do people in Texas throw. I know we throw pine cones or something, but I'm not sure what you would throw. <laughs> you know, um, you know. But I don't think the Bible is all we need. Now I think the Bible is very important. We're going to talk about that as one of our main points. This um, this idea that it's all in the Bible. Um, at one level, it seems to really honor the Scripture, and I certainly want to honor the Scripture. But if we take it to an extreme, I think this is actually harmful. It quickly turns Christianity into uh, deism, okay? Which ironically is, is a very anti-Christian, anti-biblical view of Christian life. So what is deism? Just a little, just, just, and we won't take too long in this, but it might be helpful. Because I actually think some Christians actually live this way. And it kind of rules out the idea of you ever hearing God's voice if you hold this idea and live this way. So deism has been described as viewing God as the clockmaker God. So in this idea, God created the world. He created the physical and spiritual realities and the laws that govern this world. He sets it all in motion. So he's kind of like he, the clockmaker clock who's made the clock and then winds everything up and then sets it in motion and splits the scene. So now the clock is, is, is going, but there's no clockmaker. The world is going, chugging along, but the creator is absent. Now, he was gracious to leave us a handbook if we couldn't, you know, something kind of got messed up. 
you know, we all have our, our little, you know, our troubleshooting handbooks for, you know, our phones or our laptops or, or whatever it is, you know. If this doesn't work, try this. And if this doesn't work, try this. But that's very different than having the actual inventor there talking to you and walking you through. And so in this, this worldview, we're not expecting any direct specific words from God. God is far away. And interestingly enough, and I don't, we're not going to get, well, you know, the election's coming up. We're not going to get too political here, but a lot of our founding fathers actually were, were deists. They weren't biblical Christians. They were deists and actually operated under this kind of assumption. We just have the Bible, and the rest of it's kind of up to us to figure out. And that is actually not a biblical view of God. Because the scriptures speak of God not as an absentee landlord, but as one who is very present to his creation. As one who's involved in the affairs of the world at a kind of a global cosmic scale, but one who's involved in the intimate details and affairs of my own life. And again, if we read our Bibles, the the, the scripture is full of these kinds of stories. We just get story after story of individual people who are actually quite ordinary people who were encountered by God and, and God was speaking to them very directly and very specifically about their life and the things he was wanting them to do and, and how he was leading them. Moses and Samuel and Mary and Peter, Paul, all of these people. And if we read a church history, same thing. We, you know, beyond, you know, post-scripture, we get all these uh, stories of how God very personally and dramatically interacted with his people. And so I, I'm just convinced that um, that should be our expectation. I, I really hope I, to this time together fans the flame in your own heart that I could and should be hearing from God personally. Very specifically. Maybe not, you know, minute by minute, we'll talk about that in just a sec, but, but, but regularly hearing from God. Being able to say, I think the Lord's telling me this, and, and, and actually have some good reason to say it. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm sure some of you would say amen to this. I'm in the South, right? I'm in Texas, right? And people say amen, right? You know, in the Northwest, we just kind of quietly go, hmm. <laughs> yes. Pass me the espresso, please, or, you know, all right. Okay? But I think most of you, a lot of you say, amen, I actually, you know, I, I believe the Lord's up to this. Others of you, um, I don't know if you guys even have this. Do you know what the saying old hat is? Ah, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty down. Like, well, okay, it's probably a, an, an older kind of saying. Old hat is like, oh, yeah, I know that, or this is something I'm really familiar with it, Okay? Uh, and so for some of you, this whole topic, you feel like, this is old hat, you know? I, I hear from God. I believe it. I'll, I'll invite you up here, and you can you, you probably have some ad, you know, valuable things to add to our conversation here. But I do want to address, because I think there are some who, who would probably come off as giving the vibe or even saying that we should be just hearing from God, like, whew, you know, second by second, like just downloading you know, the, the God documents into my brain, and I'm hearing it, and I'm rattling it off. You know, it's kind of a, a message from God on demand kind of thing, you know? You guys have Xfinity? Is that down here? 
Comcast, no, okay, never mind. That's the Northwest kind of thing. Anyway, we have this thing, it's called, I put it in my notes like, am I not know this? I was right. We have this thing called Xfinity On Demand. It's just kind of your instant access to all the stuff the cable company has. I think a lot of, some Christians are kind of this Godfinity On Demand. Like the message just comes, and man, I just, whatever I'm thinking is from the Lord, and I'm going to tell it to you like it's from the Lord. And I just think sometimes, I've met some people who are like that, and man, it, it just borders on presumption and arrogance. But the idea that God's just going to give them a specific word for you, because I want it, and I'm going to give you the word, and here it comes. And I've, I've met a few of those. Uh, we had, there's a, a person in our, in our ministry who graduated, went, and did some other things in ministry, and was telling me that uh, he had been with a group of Christians. They were really good prophecy and prophesying over people. And, and, and they at times would uh, play this game. It's the guess what I'm thinking game. And, and what they would do is they'd sit around and, okay, you go ahead, you know, David, you think of something. Get it in your thought, you know, you know get your mind real clear. And then we're going to ask God to tell us what you're thinking. And I looked at him, I'm like, Where's my pine cone? Because I'm, I'm ready to bring out the, you know. I, and, and he wasn't necessarily advocating this, but I just thought, wow, is this kind of what, have we reduced hearing God's voice to this and, and the gifts of the spirit of prophecy to this kind of, we're going to play a game? I just don't think that's what God's about. And, and, it, and it bothered me. Um, now, there are places, you know, where the scripture speaks that he'll, he will reveal to people the secrets of men's hearts. You can go look at it, 1 Corinthians 14, 25. And that's powerful when it happens, right? Powerful when somebody kind of reads your mail and says, the Lord has, has, has spoken to me, and here's, here's the dealio. You know? Um, there's a, a story of the founder of, of uh, the Vineyard Movement, which I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but kind of a more on the charismatic, prophetic end, uh, John Wimber, and he, um, and he was one who would hear, I would say, would hear God's voice quite, you know, would practice a lot and, and could discern it, and, um, and he was on an airplane, and he was uh, um, sitting there, and then he looked across the aisle, and he uh, kind of glanced over at the lady over there, or it was a guy, glanced over at the guy over there, and in the spirit, not physically, but in the spirit, he saw uh, the, the name of a woman on, on this guy's forehead. I mean, it's just kind of like, what? You know, rub your eyes. And so, and he sensed that God was telling him, you need to just, just, just mention the name of that woman to this guy and see what happens. And so at some point, he leans over and is like, so does, does the name Jane mean anything to you? And the guy just kind of turns white like a ghost. He's like, how did you know that? We, we got to go talk. And so they go, they're in a big, you know, 747 jumbo jet, so there's a little lounge where they can talk. And he's like, how did you know? J Jane is a woman I'm having an affair with. <gasps> got his mail read. What? Snap. And so they had a great, you know, once you, have, once you lead with that, you have a great chance to have a conversation with somebody, right? And they're all ears to hear what you have to say. You know, and so he, he, he shared the gospel with them, led them, you know, to, to, to Christ, and bam, there you go. So, um, and then, so it does happen, but I think we have to be careful that, you know, God's just going to give us words when I want it on demand. And so I think we just need to have some humility 
and not presume that we're always hearing from God. I'll be honest. When somebody says, God told me, I do have a little bit of, okay, I know God does speak. In my mind, I think, well, we'll see. But, you know, we'll talk more about it, and we'll see, in fact, God did tell you this. We need to have, I think, some solid ways to test that when somebody says it. And so hopefully, you know, our time together will, will at least begin to help us on that, okay? And then lastly, there may be some of you here who are nervous. Maybe you're just nervous because, I don't know, this room makes you nervous. It's possible. Maybe you're nervous because this is a weird topic, and it feels kind of almost, this is weird territory. You're like, I don't know, that, that just seems weird. I'm going to stick to reading the Bible, okay? Um, or maybe you've had some bad experiences, or you've just found yourself really confused a little later on. I'll share a little bit of, I was in this category. I was kind of nervous because I felt like I'd had some bad experiences that made me a little gun-shy about really my hearing from the Lord and you know, I, I kind of had to work through some stuff. And so I guess I would just say to you, if you find um, that that's you, I hope our time together, you'll grow in confidence that you can grow in learning to hear his voice, um, that your nervousness will be replaced with a, a kind of a growing assurance that God will teach you how to hear his voice. Okay? So what I want us to do is just to, uh, for the next three-ish minutes or so at your table, if you feel comfortable, uh, just share out of, those, out of those four categories, scared heart, skeptical, old hat, nervous, which, uh, which one seems to best represent where you're at? Or you could describe what represents kind of the culture of your ministry if you don't want to get too personal. So just take a few minutes and then we'll jump into our next part, okay?
Okay, try to wrap up. We're out of here about 30 seconds more, and then we'll keep moving on. All right. So wherever you find yourself at, I hope the Lord will move you forward. So we're going to uh, jump now to kind of the part one, critical foundations. Um, I think you already know my heart. I really do believe that God longs to and does speak to us quite consistently at an at a individual level, probably much more than we realize we, we haven't grown accustomed to hearing his voice. Um, and that, so we should anticipate this. But at the same time, it's not on demand, and it's not always a simple matter. There's some complexity. There's some, uh, it's kind of a journey we go on. There's a bit of subjectivity in this area. There's a lot of questions that come up that I think we have to wrestle with. Um, you know, how, how do we, how does one hear God's voice? Uh, how do I know the difference between his voice and my voice? What are the criteria for kind of evaluating that, um, et cetera? And so what I want to do in this first part is I just want to um, kind of lay some real broad strokes of these are, these are critical foundations. These are basic things that really, if we, if we don't start with these, the stuff that I talk about after dinner is not going to be helpful, I think. I know it won't be helpful. So we need to get these things down first in our life. This is kind of the context in which the stuff we talk about after dinner can flourish. If we try to do the stuff after dinner without doing this stuff now that we'll talk about, it's not going to work real well. Okay? So some of this might seem... Uh, obvious or basic, but I think it's, they'll be helpful, good reminders, okay? So the first one uh, is that we need to seek a real relationship with God, okay? I want us to think about this, this topic of hearing God's voice in a broader context of learning to have a real relationship with God, a relationship in which we know and love God, in which we are devoted to Him, in which we are submitted to Him and to His Son, Jesus. I, I get annoyed when, you know, I hear kind of seminars and stuff on, on you know, prophecy or hearing God's voice, but it, it, when it seems divorced from this, this broader context of, of loving and obeying Christ. So I want to make sure that we, we really get that down. And I know most of you say, amen, we've got it. But, you know, the, I would say this, the primary goal isn't simply to hear the voice of God, but is to become mature men and women of God, who are in a real loving relationship with him, who desire to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That is the context in which we want to consider this, this smaller part of hearing his voice. So I think a good question to ask ourselves, what is it that I really want when I approach this topic? Do I want a real relationship with, with God, with Christ, or do I simply want to use God? Do I want to hear him to use him? Or do I want to hear him to love him and obey him? And I think that's, we've got to get a hold of that. 
because that really sets us on very different courses depending on, on what our answer is. You know, some people, I, I think, approach God in this idea of hearing his voice kind of like the, you know, God is kind of the celestial Google search. You know, I just need an answer. And wow, I mean, it is wonderful, right? You can just type it in, what's that? And how far am I from this? Or, you know, what's that obscure fact that I don't know? You, I'm, you know, we didn't have that when I was your age. I mean, we had to, like, cut, you know, get an encyclopedia. Or I don't know, it's just like, I don't know, ask somebody. Find somebody who looks smart and ask them. So it's a, it's a wonderful era, but I think sometimes, because I've been thinking, like, what if I just search for and, uh, Tell me, you know, either a personal question of my life, like, what should I do next? Or, you know, Google, uh, um, you know, what's the way of salvation? Or something like that. And just see what it comes up with, okay? Um, it's a mistake to approach God kind of as we need some insider information. Now, I don't know if you've ever, uh, do they still have these magic eight balls? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that's my English just to think when I was a kid, but they were around when I was a kid. And so these, these little magic eight balls, in case you don't know, you you, um, you're supposed to ask a question, and then you, you, you know, should I ask Susie out on a date? <laughs> and then you, sh you shake it up, right? Um, and then you get your answer. You know, your answers are something like, uh, no, or you can rely on it, or the outlook is good, or don't count on it. Well, I did something that had your name in it. Focus and ask again. I love that. that oh, man, that's a good one. I thought they should have one that said, you need to upgrade to a higher quality eight ball to get your answer. And then you give you a subscription link or something like that. So um, I think sometimes people treat God as the kind of their magic eight ball when it comes to just wanting to hear from him. And I just, that's a really pagan idea. It's actually a form of magic. It's how people through the ages have approached the spirit world. Uh, th there's a book written by uh, Christian author Bruce Waltke. There's a book, and it's titled this. It's, it's, I read it for just kind of background for this. Uh, the title is Finding the Will of God, a Pagan Notion. It's thought-provoking. You don't have to, to read it to kind of know where he's going with it, but at least a part of it is this, this idea of just approaching God as magic to get some insider information. They're trying to find or divine the will of God, or the gods, as the pagans would do. And, you know, they had all kinds of crazy ways they would do this. Uh, they would read the stars, which is, you know, we still have the horoscopes, right? That's, that's a form of divination. And so if you're doing that, you should repent and not do that, because it is actually a form of divination. Because what happens is it actually comes true. Then you start to, maybe it's true, and then you, it starts to draw you in, okay? I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on that, but just, okay? Um, or they would, you know, they would do crazy things like uh, they, would, they would have a, a sacrifice of an animal and then they would try to read the entrails and discern what the gods were saying through the entrails, you know? So I don't know if you want to try that with your steak dinner or something. You don't want to try that, okay? Or, you know, tea leaves or special cards, all this kind of stuff. This is all divination which the scripture forbids. And it was all this idea to access kind of in a non-relational way the divine mind so you could get some secret information for your battle, upcoming battle, or to get some, you know, ensure political success or economic success. But I do think sometimes when it comes to this whole realm of hearing God, sometimes we're tempted to treat God this way. 
Ours are a little more subtle. You know, we're not, you know, sacrificing animals and reading their entrails. But, you know, it's the whole language of, give me a sign, dog. Give me a sign. And, and, and I'll say this, and at times God does give us a sign. So he, as I go on at this point, hear, hear me there. That sometimes he does. But this reliance on it, you know, oh, give me a sign, Lord, tonight. A piece of theology. If, if she looks at me from across the room, <laughs> if you reach her hand down and grab the same slice of pizza, I know that she's the one. Give me a sign, God, right? I know, I know I've just exposed some of you, your plans, your prayers. So, I don't know. You've now been soundly rebuked. You could just go talk to this person and just not be worried about it, but, okay? Um, so, and I think we've, at some levels, we've all done this. I've done it, you know, and, and I don't want to, you know, you're not, you're not a sorcerer, you know, into witchcraft, I understand that. But I think sometimes we need to, well, why don't you just talk to the Lord about it and see what he's going to say to you? Ooh, what a novel idea. But that has some challenges, I understand, because God isn't always easy to actually hear. But, so, um, but I do wonder if we're constantly looking for a sign that maybe it betrays an orientation where we're just trying to use God, uh, not, not walk with him in a real relationship, but just try to get some non-relational insider information from him. Bruce Walkie says, and I, I don't know if I put that in your notes. Uh, I didn't, but it's a great little quote. He says, reliance, reliance, that's the key word, reliance on special signs from God is the mark of an immature person. Ah! And reliance doesn't mean God doesn't give signs at times to help confirm what he's trying, where he's directing or speaking to us, but to rely on it means that we don't, we haven't actually understood how God often mostly wants to direct us and speak to us, and it is not on signs. It's not via signs. It's an interesting thing, kind of an aside, but if you go through the Bible, when God does show up and give some dramatic signs to people, maybe to give them a particular task or assignment or give some specific guidance in their life, it usually happens when that person was not seeking direction or guidance. So Moses in the burning bush, Moses was just doing his sheep thing, right? He wasn't seeking God about, should I lead the Israelites out? He was like, I'm hanging out here, you know. And God just interrupted. He just showed up in a burning bush. Or when the angel Gabriel visits Mary, she's not seeking, you know, a specific will or word from God. She's just doing her thing. And God shows up in the form of, uh, of the angel Gabriel and gives very specific words. Or Paul, when he's on his, on his missionary trip, and he, you know, he's trying to go one place, another place, and it's not working out. Um, but we're not told that he's, he's praying you know, specifically about this, but then he has a vision, and he has this Macedonian man come into this vision, and he's supposed to go over uh, you know, into Philippi and all that. All of this is, these were simply people who were trying to walk in a real relationship with God, and then God just showed up in their lives. And I think that gives me an assurance. It, it's helpful for me that when God really wants me to know something very, you know, clearly, dramatically, the real thing I need to make sure I'm doing is that I'm just walking with God, just walking in a, a faithful, obedient relationship. If I am doing that, 
I don't need to worry that I will miss something he's going to say to me. You know? I, I, uh, Rick Watts once was, was sharing about this whole idea. And he said, we tend to think of, it's like we're sitting, sitting in the car and God's next to us. And, and God's just about to tell us what the, you know, the specific word or direction for our life. And right as he starts speaking, a big train goes by. And he's talking and his mouth's moving, but we can't hear anything. And then the train stops and then he's done. And we're like, really? And then he's not going to say anything else. It's not like that. When God really wants us to know something, as long as we have committed to walking a real relationship with him, actively just trying to hear on a daily basis what he's saying to us in the, in the minute-by-minute, day-by-day kind of things, we'll, 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 we'll hear it, okay? Um, so, just another variation, I think, at times to indicate a person's not seeking a real relationship with God is when we only try to hear God at a difficult time. So we have this uh, Dallas Willard quote from a book, Hearing God. And he says this, Do we seek God's voice only in difficult, troubled times or for big decisions? Our answer may reveal that our failure to hear his voice when we want when we want is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we want it only when we think we need it. That's a, that's a pretty convicting quote. You know, here's the sad truth, I think, that many people, even many professing Christians, don't hear God's voice because they actually don't want to most of the time. Because then they might actually have to do something. <laughs> They're actually obligated once they hear it. I prefer just to kind of live my life the way I want to live it. But then when things hit the fan or there's some major critical decision, then we want to hear God. Now, it's not that that's bad. It's just that if that's the only time we're really seeking to hear him, it does betray something that we're not seeking to actually walk in a real, <coughs> consistent relationship with him. And it's kind of a one-way relationship at that point, right? We maybe have had people in our life where they only come to us when they need something. I don't know if you ever have people like that in your life. Like, they're not really wanting to be your friend. They just, you have some skill or some... I don't know, some cool toy that they just want to use. And when they need it, they come talk to you, and otherwise they don't. And I think sometimes we can approach God that way. So the real call for us is to, to live as a surrendered person who's pledged our allegiance to King Jesus, and we show that by actively seeking to hear and trust Jesus' voice in the day-to-day stuff. And if we're doing that, then we'll, I, I can guarantee you, you will hear him at the bigger stuff, the, the more critical decisions. You'll hear him. So, I, you know, I just, I've played that over and over at times, and I've found, ooh, this is a, I think this might become a decision I'm going to have to make. I don't have to make it now. I just begin saying, Lord, help me just to walk close to you, to love you, to be in your word. And if I'm doing that, I'm going to hear you. And that's really, it's actually been true and very helpful. Okay? So, um, so that's one thing. The second thing is uh, kind of, again, big, straight foundations. These things got to be in place before we kind of go into the second part that we'll talk about after dinner. Is we need to know the scripture. I know this is kind of Sunday School 101, but um, we need to know the scripture. 
If we ever hope to hear the Lord's voice in a personal way and to be sure it's the Lord, then we, it's absolutely imperative that we know the Scripture and that we are regularly encountering God through the Scripture. So not just knowing it intellectually, but, but the Scripture becomes a, a way, a means of me encountering God. When I begin to encounter God through the Scripture, I get to know what He's like. I get to know his values and his characters. That begins to shape me, begins to shape the way I think. I begin to have what the scripture calls the mind of Christ. And then it becomes easier to hear his voice, to sense his leading. Because I already know so much of what he's like, how he thinks, what he values, how he would respond or react in any given situation. I think about, you know, I've been married to Charlotte for 25 years, and there's so many times I'll be in a situation maybe where she's not with me, and I'm like, I, I'll just tell myself, I know exactly what Charlotte would say right now. I just totally know what she would say or how she would respond. And sometimes I would respond the same way, and other times I'm like, oh, man, I wouldn't respond that way. But I know how she would respond. And you probably have friends like that or family members like that, and you know exactly. You hear their voice in your head. They're in your head. You know, hopefully it's a good voice. Right? And you know how they, what they, they would be saying to you in this situation, how they'd be leading. That's what the scripture, as we're in the scripture, that's, that's what God is intending. Not just to be smart with the scripture and be the best Bible quizzer or whatever, but that we'd have the mind of Christ. We'd actually think like he thinks. We act the way he reacts. That's when you know the scripture is starting to really uh, shape you and your mind is being transformed. Your mind is being renewed, right? Romans 12, where it should be renewed by the transformation, the transforming of your mind. So we need to know the scripture. And, and here's the truth. So much of what we need to know in a lot of various stuff in our lives is actually already, God has already clearly spoken that to us. He's revealed his will to us. Now, again, I don't want to slip into deism, but at some levels, he's already told us a lot of stuff, right? You know, here's, you can do, just do a word search. You know, go to Bible Gateway or whatever, you know, Bible software program you got, uh, and, and search, put in God's will, and just see what comes up. See what scriptures come up. There's a lot. There's a lot for you to start with. A lot for us to kind of jump into. Um, so, you know, you want to know... Um, I think I have a slide on this, yeah. So you want to know what God's will is when you're in a difficult situation? That difficult situation you're in right now, some of you are facing, you want to know God's will, what he's saying to you? This is what he's saying to you. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I actually believe for some of you here right now, that is exactly what the Lord is saying to you, because you're in a difficult situation, and he's saying, I want you to give thanks for it. I want you to give thanks. Start there, and then I'll give you, once you've done that, then we can talk, right? What about God's will in your dating relationship? Well, I can tell you one thing his will is, his voice is. God says, it's, it's my will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Some of you, 
That is the voice of the Lord speaking to you right now. Wham. Mm. Know the scripture. How, how can I be led by the Spirit in my life? Well, Ephesians 5. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Hmm, here's some real specific counsel for us. Who should I marry or date? Well, I mean, you're not going to look it up. And I mean, I suppose you could look it up and wham. Oh, snap. I need to find a person by the name of Hezekiah. <laughs> I'm screwed. I'm, you know, it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, Ouija board, you know, playing. Uh, okay, no. Uh, you could try that method. I wouldn't recommend it. So you're not going to get that specific, right? But you're going to get some, some good beginning places. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 14. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Maybe you're sitting here and that is the direct word of the Lord to you tonight. Could be. Could be. I remember when I was, uh, I was in high school and I had just, I was a junior in high school, got my driver's license, and I just decided I'm going to start dating. I don't know why. I just felt like I need, I have a driver's license. I should date. <laughs> Isn't that what you do when you get your driver's license? You start dating. I don't know what I was thinking. But, so, uh, so I didn't seek the Lord on it, of course, didn't get really into it, didn't have a conversation with Jesus about this, although I was a follower of Christ, uh, and so I met this great gal who was not a Christian, and I even had a good Christian brother come up to me and say, I had this really bad idea, she's not a Christian, blah, blah, and I said, you know what, I got this. It's missionary dating. It's missionary dating. I'm a winner of the Lord. You just, yeah, I'm <laughs> ever shaking her head. No, don't do it, David. I did it. I did it. It was not good. And I was trying to pray through it all. And then I was, ugh. And the Lord is merciful and just convicted my socks off. I mean, I just, ugh. I didn't have a moment's peace, it felt like. And, you know, and, and so eventually I, I realized I need to break it off. And I did. And praise the Lord. So, but the truth is he's already made his will very clear on this matter. He, you know, the scriptures have some clear things to say about it. So, here, here's the thought. You, cannot, you can't disregard the plain directives from God and then be able, expect to be able to hear a special message from God when we want it. Now, you, you can't just disregard obvious stuff he's spoken to us, be living in direct opposition to it, and then think he's going to give you some special, you know, word or direction. Do what he's already said, and then we can have some conversation. So I, I need, you know, I need to be a person who starts with this scripture, starts to know God, what he's about, let that shape my life, my actions. And then I'm in the right posture, the right attitude, the right frame of mind to hear his voice. And a lot of times what I find when the Lord does want to communicate <clears throat> something a little more specific to me. And it doesn't have to happen this way, but a lot of times it actually happens through a scripture. A scripture starts to, to float up in my heart. You know, maybe I've been studying it and, and reading it, or maybe not. I just, I remember it was there, back there, kind of in the files, and, and all of a sudden it starts to, it, it comes to me. Um, Willard has this, this quote that I find help, uh, found helpful. The written word 
is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention fixed. The written word is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention fixed. When I, uh, so, uh, you know, we have this 18-month-old Almelina in our house, Soul Moon Almelina, um, and uh, we, we aren't planning to be, we aren't foster, we're not licensed with the state to be foster parents. Uh, my wife had worked with uh, the public school in a, a grads program, which was for pregnant teenage moms to help them finish school. It's kind of a uh, in in school uh, daycare where the moms could drop their babies and then go to high school because a lot of a lot of them just didn't have either family that would be supportive or the uh, financial means to, to pay for daycare. You can't bring your one year old to you know biology class. It just doesn't work, right? So so there's this program, and so through that we began to meet some people, uh, some of the students in the program. My wife's just, uh, she's awesome. You know, she's just mom to these gals, and they love her, and, you know, they, she just tells them like it is, and boom, 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 and they're just like, oh, my, you're, you're so mean, but I love you. And, you know, <laughs> and she just kind of gets all up in their business. And, um, and so we, you know, we just got into some people's worlds. And so there was uh, all Melinda's parents, uh, a couple, and they weren't, you know, teenagers, they're not married, and um, and so we just began to help them out a little bit, and they come over and have some dinner, and, you know, and they didn't like our food, but they liked us, and they'd hang out with us, and they'd do laundry, and we helped them, they got into some, some government housing, and we helped move around from there, and anyway, the whole situation kind of got not real good, and they, they made some very poor choices, and, and uh, eventually they ended up homeless, they were living in a van, and with her baby, and you know, just crazy stuff. Got in a high-speed car chase where Almarina wasn't in a car seat, and 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 and, and a new girlfriend of the dad was chucking heroin out the window while the cops were chasing him, and they got in an accident. And wow, that was the end of that for you know they were she was taken, Almarina was taken from 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 the from the parents, and so none of the family was. Uh, Neither side of the family was able to pass the background checks to be placed or didn't want to. Um, and so they were just going to put her in the foster care system. But they asked uh, both the mom and the dad independently of each other, is there anybody who's not family that you would consider like family who might be willing to take Almelina before we put her into the state system? And so they, independent of each other, they named my wife. They said, oh, Shelly, Shelly Neville. Yeah, yeah, she's got to go to Shelly. So I get a phone call from Shelly, like, hey, what's going on? Hey, <laughs> you know what? I just got a phone call from the state from, yeah, the caseworker for Amaluna, and they want to know if we'd be willing to take her. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. I feel like the Lord has prepared me for that. He he already knew the phone call would be coming. He knew the situation well in advance. And so it's so interesting that for a, a few months leading up to that, I had just felt like a, a few words from Scripture had just kind of, in a good way, haunted me. Not in a bad way, but had really been with me. And I'd even kind of shared that a bit with some of my, you know, uh, spiritual friends. And, uh, and, and just and got really emotional at times when I, 
I share it, I still get emotional. And the word was, to whom much is given, much is required. I didn't know what it, I mean, I knew what it meant generally. You know, I knew that you know, Jesus said it, and we've been given much. I, I do that, and we've given so much, and wonderful home and family, and so, okay. And so it, it just kind of was, but that word was with me. Um, and I just knew that I, I just needed to be ready to be a blessing. And that maybe God would require much of me at some point. But I didn't really know the specifics. So as soon as Shelly called me on the phone, that, that word just began to surface again. And I'm like, I already know what the Lord has told me on this. I already know. I didn't even really need to pray about it. Because he'd already been speaking to me. To whom much is given, much is required. David, I, I'm going to... I'm going to ask this of you. It's a big ask. Trust me. I just turned 50, and I'm like, my kids are almost out of the house. Hallelujah. You know, well, I love you. See you later, you know. Um, I know your mom and dad probably aren't like that. but um, And so it was a real journey for me to, like, oh, man, I have a baby back in the house. Are you kidding me? That's crazy, you know. But, but the Lord had spoken, and I, and I knew that. That's, that's where the word becomes so helpful. It became a living word. Not just words on a page that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, but that written word became the very spoken word into my immediate context and situation. And God wants to speak to us that way, that clearly, that specifically. I just am so convinced. To get ourselves in the place where we can hear it, we need to be in the scripture, because so often he speaks through the scripture. Um, now, I didn't, I, you know, at one point I meant to put this as a, maybe uh, an addendum for an activity for you to do. So I don't know, maybe I'll connect with, with, with your staff and figure it out. But, um, or maybe they've already, have you ever talked about Lectio Divina? I don't know, have you ever talked about, okay, so it's a, um, if you're from Catholic tradition, you might have encountered it. Um, Lectio Divina is just uh, means spiritual reading, which sounds like, whoa, that doesn't sound Christian at all. Um, all it means is a certain way of reading the scripture in which the real goal is not to, not to you know, exegete the task, text and, you know, understand it all intellectually. There's a place for that, absolutely. But as a way of, of beginning to meditate on it so you can hear the voice of the Lord through the written word. And it's just a great kind of exercise to, to do with the, t- uh, with the text. And all it really is is you, you take a, a, you know, it could be a psalm or a, a smaller portion of scripture. And you just, you read it very slowly. You can read it in your mind. It's nice if you're in a place you can read it out loud, just very slowly. And you just kind of, you kind of sell your heart and get still and you read it. And you're, what you're doing is you're just simply, I mean, you try to understand it, of course, but you're trying to, I, you know, the Spirit lifts something out of that text that seems to jump at you, and you begin to, to reflect on it. And then you read it again, and, and you begin then to meditate. You chew on it. Um, uh, you, the actual word, and I can't remember now in Latin, but it has the idea of chewing the cud. You're bringing it up, and you're, you're chewing it over and over again. And what you're doing is you're trying to hear God's voice for you specifically with that word. And, and then you would read it one more time, and then you begin to pray, just kind of in response to what you hear the Lord doing. And it can be, you know, like a 
15 minute little exercise. But I find it's very helpful to engage scripture, but with that, with the goal of listening to the spirit, believing that God actually will speak to me through this text. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't study it, make sure we get in context. There's a place for that too, of course. But uh, it, it, I find it very helpful. I have some of my uh, core leaders do this, um, and, and it's good. So we did it a few weeks ago. We did Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I just read, uh, you know, I leave me beside quiet waters. He, he restores my soul. And we just did that. <clears throat> and then so we did it together, and then we kind of just listened quietly, and I read it again, etc. And then at the end, we just kind of shared what we heard the Lord what was the Lord saying to us through that? Um, and uh, it was really interesting. There's one of, one of my, my leaders who's just uh, lives on about an hour of sleep a, uh, a day, a night. I mean, he just doesn't get enough sleep. So it's interesting. So we're sharing, what did you hear? You know? And so this guy, Sam, he's like, well, I was, that, that line, he makes me lie down. And, but this is just, yeah, this is like that. We're all laughing. Like, yeah, right. Because he just told us, I don't get any sleep. I was up till five in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And, and, but he said, but here's what I heard the Lord say to me through this. He said, Sam, I'm going to make you lie down. It would be better if you just lie down. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all like, Oh, snap, man. You, you better get yourself to bed, Sam. You know, and we, we don't really kind of talk about that a bit. And, and this idea of if, if you can either choose it on your terms or God will choose it for you, but he'd prefer that you would just choose it on your own to make this decision to do this. And it was, you know, and it was really just out of 10, 10 15 minutes of doing that. But it became actually a very powerful word for him. I mean, we laughed, but it was like, whoa. You know, the shepherd is good, but the shepherd, he's the shepherd, and he's talking to you right now. And he want, he, he is, he's saying, I will do this in your life, and you won't choose it. But you probably don't want me to do that. So um, so just an, an encouragement, this is a way um, for us to, to practice hearing the Scripture, um, to, to use the Scripture in that way. Okay? So um, let's do this. Let's just stand up and take a, a, a like a, five-minute break, okay? Because I've been talking for a long time. So go ahead and stand up, and you can stretch and do whatever you need to do. You're welcome. <laughs> I just felt like I had to give a stretch break. I don't know. Needed to do that. Okay, so. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are wonderful. Um, so we're going to go to uh, kind of the last critical foundation, at least the way I'm thinking about it, um, before we'll have our break for dinner and then we'll go the second part of our time together. Um, so we've talked about you need to have a real relationship. Seek that with God. We need to know the scriptures and live in the word and let the word live in us. Um, and the last uh, 
foundation I want to talk about is we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen, uh-oh, in prayer. As my clicker, oh, there, see that? Oh, but that one's, it's the one I'm not controlling. And the ones that, I'm, the ones that aren't being controlled by me are up on there, I don't know. They're figuring it out. So it's learn to listen in prayer, okay? Um, tell me if you need me to do anything. Matt, right. Yeah. Wait, maybe I need to. I need to do something on the clicker? What happens if I... Whoops, there we go. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, so learn to listen in prayer. And that makes sense, right? Because we're talking about hearing God's voice. So it makes sense that we need to learn to listen to him. All right, we got two ears, one mouth. It means we should mostly listen and talk less. And that's true probably in life, and I think that's probably true when it comes to our praying. A lot of times our praying is kind of a one-sided affair, I think, with the focus on talking. And I, I, I like to, you know, talk about a lot of times the way we pray, a lot of times I tend to pray, is I come and I make a prayer speech at God. And, and that's, it's... And it's kind of an odd way when you think about having a conversation with somebody who you you know you you can see and have a relationship with to just come up and make a, a speech to them and then leave would be really weird, right? Like, hey, Fred, it's been a great day I've been having, and man, I feel really stressed right now. I got a lot of stuff going on in my studies, and you know, uh, man, my my my. My deal with my girlfriend, that's kind of getting wonky, and, and you know, but, um, but I had pizza for lunch, and that was pretty cool, so, and, um, you know, after that, you know, I, I'm going to have a little bit of time with scripture reading, and I went to this pizza theology thing, that was pretty cool, so, anyway, great talking with you, we'll see you later. I mean, we would just go, whoa, weird, like, get that person to the psychiatrist or something, okay? I, it would be weird, right? Um. I think sometimes that's the way we pray. I think we sometimes pray that way. And so we, we're not have, we don't think we're going to actually hear anything, like God might actually want to say something in response, that we're not actually having a conversation, because prayer is really a conversation that involves as much listening as it does talking. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's uh, the story of Samuel, who became a great prophet in Israel, and uh, when he was just a boy living in the temple and being kind of mentored by Eli, the high priest, and the very first time he heard the Lord's voice, he didn't recognize it, which is an interesting thought, that we could actually be hearing the Lord's voice, but we haven't learned to recognize his voice. And that was the case for Samuel. And so he heard the Lord speaking to him, Samuel, Samuel. And so he runs to Eli and he says, did you call? You call? I'm here. He's like, I didn't call. Go back to sleep. Goes back, lays down. Samuel gets up. You, I, I'm here. What, what do you need? He's like, I, I, I didn't call. I Go back to bed. One more time. And then Eli, the high priest, figures out, ah, this is the Lord speaking. The Lord is speaking to you. He says, so here's what you do. The next time you hear the voice, you say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Ooh, that's probably something we want to lay a hold of. Actually, I think that most of the time for us, it's the reverse. We say it this way. Listen, Lord, your servant's speaking. <laughs> and it's fair. I mean, you know, there are times the Psalms say, you know, hear my cry. And yeah, so it's okay to say that, but... But this idea of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That prayer is a form of listening. So if we want to grow in hearing the voice of God, it's going to take a growing discipline of silence. Silence. Because learning to hear God's voice is not automatic. It, it is not automatic. And I venture to say that a lot of Christians don't hear the Lord, or even have much of a chance of hearing him because they haven't been purposeful to cultivate a meaningful practice of solitude and silence in their lives. Because you have to be silent in order to really listen, to really hear. Instead, so many, I always say, of us, because I include myself in that, our, our lives are filled with noise. Filled with noise. We live in a very noisy, distracted world. There's a guy by the name of Bernie Krause. Bernie Krause, for over 50 years, has been recording the sounds of nature. He must be from Bellingham, I'm sure. Okay? He started it in 1968. And when he started, he would have to record uh, for about 15 hours to get one hour of untainted natural sound, you know, so no planes flying over or, you know, cars or, you know, whatever he was doing this, it was about 15 hours. Today, now when he does it, it takes nearly 2,000 hours of recording to get the same hour of untainted natural sound. The sound is getting ramped up right in our world. Nine out of ten Americans, adult Americans, own a cell phone. Right? We all have them. Average American home has three television sets. And, of course, we have our TV in our pockets now with our phones. The average American teen has nine hours of media time a day. And I, I want you hear me, hear me, young people, as, as the dad figure standing up here. I'm not raging against media. I check my Facebook once in a while. I'm not raging against technology. And there are lots of ways we can fill our lives with noise and distraction apart from media. I absolutely get that. But here's the point. Here's what I want to say. If we desire to be people who are grounded in a daily conversation with God, we're going to be people who hear the voice of Jesus, people who know God closely, who live in his word, we are going to have to deal with the amount of noise and distraction in our lives. There's a couple quotes here. I just found, um, yeah, so galvanizing. We must escape the noise, the inner and outer noise, distractions that keep us from hearing God, like light pollution which obscures the stars at night, so a life filled with noise obscures us from hearing the voice of God. My second son, son Bennett, who's uh, serving with Youth with a Mission, based out of Kona, and when we're in, yeah, tough, tough, serving Jesus in Kona, Hawaii. So, but um, 
he, uh, they have these, these uh, uh, light pollution reducing lights all through Kona. And so they're, they're kind of a yellowish color because they have an observatory up on, uh, it's Mauna Loa up there. Um, and so you just get these breathtaking, you know, uh, views of the stars when you, you go up that mountain. And, but they try to reduce the, the light noise so you can see it. And I think, man, that's what we need to do in our lives. We've got to be able to find ways to reduce noise so that we can hear God. Dallas Willard has this great quote. Generally speaking, God will not compete for our attention. He's not going to shout out over the noise of our lives. In fact, we'll see in a minute, he's actually, he whispers. So silence and solitude are how we are actually, we'll give God our attention. But then that, we have to ask the question, how much silence and quiet do I have in my life? How much do you have in your life? How much time every day in a day do you go without phone or radio or TV or internet without friends, just silence, just being quiet, just listening. I remember working at a, at a uh, Bible camp, and the, it was an old Russian lady who was the cook, and she just had her, her days where she, she was just quiet. And I don't know if it was a spiritual discipline or she just was annoyed with us, probably annoyed with us. But she was just like, oh, she's not, she's not talking today. And she wouldn't say a word, man. She was quiet. I was like, whoa. But now, I thought it was weird then. But it was probably just like, man, that, that's actually pretty powerful when you don't say anything for a day. And then you begin to speak, finally. Hmm. So, to the degree, I want to say this, to the degree we can cultivate quiet in our lives, to that degree we will have the potential of hearing God. So what, here's what we're going to do. I want us to look at a passage. Really. I'll make a few comments on it. And then we're going to have a little experience of silence together. I thought it'd be kind of ironic if I didn't give some silence after talking about we need to be quiet, you know, like, shut up, David, be quiet, so they can actually be quiet and listen. And that's what I heard the Lord say. He said very lovingly and gently, and yes, but um, so the passage is 1 Kings 8 to 13, and I put part of it in there. I don't think I put all of the text in there. And just a little background on this passage, this is where uh, the prophet Elijah, he's just won his famous showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You know, he calls down a fire, and the fire eats up the whole, everything, the, the, the sacrifice, the stones, the water, it's just boom, it's game on. Um, this, of course, this enrages, you know, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and so they've got a death warrant on Elijah's head now, and so he flees for his life, God miraculously provides food and water for him, feeds him with you know, this angelic, you know, an angel comes and there's bread and all this kind of great stuff. But Elijah's very discouraged and he's depressed. And so now he's come to Mount Horeb, which is actually another name for Mount Sinai, which is where God had met with Moses earlier. That's kind of the setting um, of our text. And so I, I will read it. I'll read it for us. And then, as I said, rather than just me talking about the text um, and the importance of silence and the, the, you know, the God's voice as a whisper, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to get down. I still have my clicker. But there's going to be a series of slides that's just we're going we're gonna to quietly, and it's going to be extended. It's going to be for like 12 minutes. It'll be quiet. 
And, and these texts, these slides are gonna uh, kind of roll as, and, and walk us through reflecting quietly on this uh, text of Elijah meeting with God. Some of you are gonna love this, but for no other reason that I'm gonna stop talking and you're gonna love that, okay? Others of you are not gonna like this. And to you I say, man, you're just gonna have to deal with it, okay? Um, and here, my hope is that we would just be able to experience a bit of silence together. Uh, for those running the, um, the projectors on the sides here, just follow my cue as I click the slides, because they'll be extended, and they're not all the same length, okay? So just kind of watch when I click the slide, you click the slide, okay? Um, so, and I'm going to, actually, I'm going to try... I think I can click if I'm down here. Is that okay? Can I still click? Oh, I can click from here. Yeah, so that says okay. All right. Um, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to join you in this. I know it seems kind of odd, but because um, I'm going to do this experience too. So uh, I'll, read the, I'll read this, and then I will, uh, I will mute myself. And uh, we'll go through these slides. And the goal is just to let the Lord help us be quiet and be reflective, since so much of hearing his voice means we have to listen, okay? And then we'll end the whole time with a, uh, a couple minutes of quiet afterwards, and then I'll come up and pray, and then we'll uh, have Lawrence come up and tell us what we're doing for dinner, okay? So, let's read the text. I'll read it for us. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. It'll, it'll be hitting you soon. I watch your eyes glaze over, kind of like, you know, the cheese on the pizza and the icing on the rolls, but I was impressed how quickly everybody got through the line. That was amazing. Wow. Just, whew, good job. Whoever set all that up, that's amazing. So, oh, I think somebody has your Bible. Well, I gave it to, was it the Marine Bible? Yeah, somebody, somebody took it. I don't know. We found your Bible. Somebody has your Bible. I gave it to somebody. There it is. It's still back there. Okay. 
All right, so, um, so we had some quiet time, right, at the end of our first session, and, uh, you know, I'll just leave that for you to process with your friends or your mentors or whatever, uh, but being quiet, oh, whew, yeah, it's, it's important stuff. So, so just kind of review, and then we're going into part two here, so the way of discernment in your outline. So, got our critical foundations that need to be in place before some of this other stuff we'll talk about. Got to be in a real relationship with God, people of the word, immersed in the scripture, uh, and then people who have grown in a discipline of quiet and solitude where we can actually learn to hear the still small voice of God. And so um, we want to take time um, to talk just a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about that still small voice. Um, which I think that's your, yeah, that's your first fill in there, still small voice. And then we'll, once, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, and then we'll move on to some other kinds of ways that become helpful for us to discern the voice of God in our lives, and then hopefully have some Q&A. I got a lot of material, so we'll see if I can get, get through it all. Um, so if, if not, I'll encourage you, there's, there's a little bibliography at the end of uh, the outline, um, so some books. Hearing God by Dallas Willard is super helpful. As you can tell, I've already quoted a lot from him. Another book that was at my uh, class I took up at Regent in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, The Voice of Jesus by Gordon Smith, Discernment, Prayer, and the Witness of the Spirit is the subtitle. An excellent book um, for helping us. And then Henry Nowen, if you've encountered Henry Nowen, but Discernment um, is the title of that book, and that's super helpful. Okay? He writes from a Catholic tradition, so um, has, has some really helpful stuff there. Okay, but you might, you'll, you'll experience, if you read that, you'll find where he gets into the Eucharistic community. So it's a little different, but so, uh, but really some good stuff there, okay? Um, so, um, so in Elijah's passage, we learn that God's voice is a, is a gentle whisper, right? The, the sound of thinnest Silence. I just, wow, that, just that, the, the littleness of what that means, just, I don't know, there's something, there's something there that, that grabs me. It means I gotta be really quiet to hear that. I know that much, okay? Um, so let's just, let's talk a bit about that. Um, there are other, when we read the scriptures, we find there's other ways that God communicates um, through the scriptures. Sometimes it's an audible voice, sounds like Samuel when he heard God speaking, the Lord speaking, that was probably an audible voice. Um, and sometimes it could be that. I, it might be that the Lord actually uses an audible voice with us, but we just think it's somebody else talking. I don't want to rule that out, okay? Um, and other times he communicates through dreams. I don't know how many of you have ever had a, a dream in which you felt like the Lord was speaking to you. I know I, I have actually at times. I, I don't know necessarily the direct words he said, but the whole dream became a message. So sometimes he can speak that way. Um, and we'll touch on some other ways I think he speaks to us. Um, but I, the one I think that most is most God's preferred mode of communication with us is this still small voice. Uh, this inner voice or the witness of the spirit is sometimes, that's how Gordon Smith talks about it. That, that uh, way of talking about it is sometimes used. And it's, it's this way in which the spirit of God directly communicates with the human spirit. Kind of, the Lord touching a person's thoughts, touching their feelings, giving direct impressions on a person's inner consciousness. 
there's a, a, a friend of mine who's a, uh, the Pentecostal chaplain up at Simon Fraser University in, uh, in um, uh, Vancouver. Did anybody go there at Sikkim? No, you have to go in June. That's right. Sorry. Sorry. That's the June Sikkim because Western's not in session, so we can't ever take people out on our campus because there's nobody there. And it's really hard to do evangelism when there's nobody there. So we go up to SFU, up to Canada, and, and do some outreach there. And we, so we hang out with uh, Seth, who's always an intern with us, and uh, now the, the Pentecostal chaplain at SFU. And one of the things he says, Seth is kind of our mystic friend. I just love him. He just, he's just, I don't know, he's just kind of mystical. Um, and he, he says this, that God's voice often sounds a lot like our own voice. Because he is using the medium of our inner thoughts and feelings and impressions to communicate with us. I find that helpful, that God's voice often sounds a lot like our own voice. Now, it isn't, and we'll talk a little bit about how do we negotiate that and discern between them. But, um, you know, when God's speaking to me, it, it, it sounds kind of, he uses the language the way I would talk. You know, he doesn't all of a sudden bust out in Elizabethan English, King James, you know, style or, you know, he, he doesn't have a southern voice because I'm from, you know, he, he talks, talks like a Northwesterner. And he'll probably talk like a Texan for you all. Okay? Because he's, 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 he, he's communicates in, what did I say? I, yeah, I know, I know, I can't, I, I just can't do it, I'm sorry. Um, you all. Um, so it's, his voice sounds a lot like our own voice. He uses our own inner thoughts and feelings. So I wanted to look at a couple verses, I think, that, that can get us there, okay? So the first one is in your notes there. It's kind of a long text, and we're not going to do a whole lot with it, but I, I put the whole thing in there. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16. Um, and I, I probably won't read all of it, but I, I bolded some of the parts that are helpful. So... Paul writes, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, I want us to hear this part. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Small s, their own spirit within them. Um, and then we jump down. The spirit we receive is not of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Um, and then kind of jumping down, the, the spirit without the spirit. Without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from God, from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Can't understand them because, the last bold part there, they are discerned only through the Spirit. And then it goes on to speak that, um, but we have the mind of Christ. Okay? Now, again, my, my, I'm not going to do this full, thorough teaching on that. There's a lot going on there. But for our time tonight, I just simply wanted us to get a hold of the idea of, that our spirit, small as the spirit we have, this inner person, this place in us where our inner thoughts are, um, is, is the place where I think the Lord communicates with us. That the spirit of Christ living in us searches us and communicates to us, to our spirit, reveals things to us and gives us discernment so that we would have the mind of Christ. He reveals even the deep things of God to us. Okay? Now, I want to throw another verse in there that maybe helps kind of flesh that out a little more. Um, and so it's from Proverbs 20, verse 27. And we're going to, uh, I figured out the King James and then also the Jerusalem Bible. Um, it says this, The spirit of man 
is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly, meaning kind of the, the inner parts of our lives. Okay, candle of the Lord. And in the Jerusalem Bible, it renders the verse this way. Man's spirit is the lamp of Yahweh, searching even his deepest self. Let's read what uh, uh, Dallas Willard has to say on that. I don't know if I gave you the whole quote. I don't think I did. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll start reading it and then, um, oh, actually, I did give you the whole quote. Okay. So the thoughts and feelings in the mind and spirit of one who is surrendered to God should be treated as if God, and here's the image I want us to have, as if God were walking through one's personality with a candle, directing one's attention to uh, one's attention to things one after the other. And so the image is of God uh, walking, the Spirit of God walking through our thoughts, our experiences, all that inner stuff inside of us with, with a candle. And he's, he's both searching it, but he's also speaking to us through those images, through those impressions, through those thoughts. They be kind of they become become the medium by which he's communicating to us. And I think it's this uh, beautiful experience of God walking inside of me, speaking to me, revealing things to me. Jump down the, the other quote there. The simple fact is that God comes to us precisely in our thoughts, in and through our thoughts, perceptions and experiences, and that He can approach our conscious life only through them. Now, that might be maybe a bit of an overstatement, but I, I appreciate what he's trying to say. For they are the substance of our lives. In other words, they're kind of the things, that, the language that we understand. So we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God's gracious incursion into our souls can make our thoughts his thoughts. And he will help us learn to distinguish when a thought is ours alone and when it is his. So, so often... I think when you, you read the scripture and you just get this feeling like, you know, and, and the Lord said so-and-so to so-and-so, and you're like, well, how? How did that happen? I, we're not necessarily told. I think most of the time it's happening this way. There's an impression, there's a thought that the, the person understands to be actually God's voice in his or her life speaking uh, to him or her. Um, and that's why I think, you know, my friend Seth, when he says the, uh, the the voice of God sounds a lot like ours. I actually really think that's quite true. That's been my experience, as I've you know. But somehow in the interchange between the spirit in my spirit and and bringing His candle, His lamp into it, somehow I'm beginning to hear what God's actually saying about what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And I'm not just me thinking and feeling, but all of a sudden I'm sensing what God's thinking about what I'm thinking. Are you tracking with me? That's a lot of thinking going on. But there's this sense that there's this dialogue almost going on about what, what the Lord says to me about how I'm thinking. Okay, so we'll try to unpack that. And I'll tell some stories in a little bit because that always helps, right? So we'll, so we'll get there. Um, but I wanted to kind of at least start there. Um, and then uh, let's talk through, so how do we learn to discern which thoughts are mine only and which ones are his, because that's kind of the trick, right? It's like, well, I had a thought. Well, was that God? Well, was that me? Was that pizza? Was that my campus pastor? 
was that my pet chihuahua? I don't know which thought I'm having right now. I have to discern it. I have to figure it out. So here's some ways. Obviously, the scripture, you know, plays a big role, right? God never says something to us that's counter to what he's revealed already. So we can be confident of that. We can be confident of that. That's, we've got to go to the scripture. But, okay, but what if it doesn't say specifically about this thing I'm wondering about? Then what do we do? Okay? So we're going to talk a bit about that. Always remember the real relationship with God, the word, and, and time to silence. But, but here's a few other things I think become helpful. And so let's talk about those. So uh, the role of community. Because one of the ways that God communicates with us, both to clarify and I think to, to confirm his quiet whispers to us, is through the community of believers. It's how he clarifies what I think he's already saying to us. And it's also how he confirms what we think we hear him saying to us oftentimes comes through other believers. It's how we can better discern the voice of God in our personal lives. Because God has created us to be, and this is your next fill in there, interdependent, not independent. Despite the fact that we are rugged Americans and we like to be independent, we actually were made to be interdependent, to need one another, to get help from each other. And this is true in a lot of areas of life, as you're probably you know, figuring out as you are in small group together with each other, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is also true when it comes to this issue of us hearing God's voice. You know, God said it's not good for man to be alone. That's in Genesis. And we often all use that in weddings, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the, the groom says, amen, and, you know. Um, uh, and it's true, and that's the context. But I think it's also true. It's, it's not good for us to be alone, uh, not just in finding mates and a life partner, but when it comes to this topic of discerning the voice of God in our lives. That it's not a solo thing. Because you and Jesus got to figure it out. you got to get to learn to hear his voice. Now, I think you do have to do, you know, uh, some disciplines and some quiet and learning the, the scripture, etc. But at the same point, we need each other. We need, I think God sometimes consciously makes it so that I can't fully hear his voice without being in real relationship with other believers. And so some of us, this is really good news, because it may feel like a lot of pressure to hear God's voice. It's all kind of up to you, and it can be a little intimidating. And I think I heard God say this, but I don't really know. It's nice to be able to have some other input on it, isn't it? To have a conversation about that. Especially if it's like a significant thing that maybe you sense he's calling you to do. You had better, and wisdom says, and I think the scripture says, you better get a lot of counsel. There's a lot of victory is, is in the abundance of counselors. That's what Proverbs says. And so we need to make sure we are getting counsel and running those, those words through other people. Okay? So for some of you, that's a relief. Whew, it's not all up to me. You know, for others of you, it may be challenging because it requires humility. Because needing others just seems, uh, seems weak, right? To admit that you need the help of others. For some of us, it's like, oh, just need Jesus. We're fine, you know? I know what he's telling me. I'm good. I don't need your input. And, um, and, and the Lord may be saying, actually, you do need my input. But I'm going to give it to you through that brother or that sister. You know the one that annoys you? You know the one that's in your small group that just ticks you off? Right? Or the one that you just think, oh, my goodness, they're just so immature. And then the Lord's like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. 
I'm going to speak to them through that person. He just likes to do that sometimes, right? None of us have been there, right? We have, we, we've not been that person or the immature person who gave the word. Of course, I realize we haven't been that. But, um, yeah, we probably have, actually. So, um, so for some of us, it's challenging because it requires real humility. And I'll say this. As, as, as you read both in the scripture and those who are kind of the experts in hearing God's voice, over and over they say a quality that we need to have is humility. We need to walk humbly. We need to have a very strong awareness of ourselves and our limitations and our need for God's voice and our need for other people. So it requires humility. Others of you, this idea of community and that you might be the person God wants to speak through is it's challenging because it takes some real boldness. Like God might have a word to share with this person, and it takes some real boldness. It takes some real love for others and desire for them to hear God as much in their lives as I want for me to hear God in my life. I, I wonder, and here's just, you know, I wonder if this journey of hearing God's voice better, more clearly, may kind of get a jump start when we begin asking God to help us hear his voice, not simply for ourselves, but for others. I just find God loves to answer those prayers. And it's not that he doesn't want to answer my prayers for me to hear, you know, what he's saying to me in my situation, but I just find because the very nature of Christianity is other-centered, it's not just about me, that he really likes to answer the prayer when I'm praying for others, that he would speak to, to another person through me. Not so I can look greater, you know, spiritual, but so I can be a, a, a blessing. You know, it's, it's just interesting how many uh, of the gifts of the Spirit that we find in the New Testament are really God trying to bring a word to somebody through another person. God wants somebody to hear his voice, but he's going to bring his voice through the voice of another person. That, those gifts of the Spirit just seem to work that way so often. There are these community, the community talking to each other, but actually God talking to us through one another. And it's just a blessing to be on either end of it. And I know if you've been on, you know, either the giving or the receiving end, where all of a sudden you know the Lord is speaking, but it is, it is so encouraging. Um, you know, so I was talking to you a little bit about our, our journey with our, uh, our, our, I just call her foster daughter, Alma Luna. And, um, you know, and it was quite, a, you know, once, once I knew the Lord is saying, to whom much is given, much is required, and uh, okay. And so but then the reality happened, and she showed up at our house. And, and oh, the reality is she's waking up at 530 in the morning. And I do remember that because, you know, I, I have kids. But I had my nice happy routine. You know, I get up, have my exercise, have my little devotion time, and have my cup of tea. And that just got completely blown up. You know, because now I'm getting up and I'm giving a bottle to Alma Luna, and she just doesn't seem to want to pray a whole lot. I mean, she does now. <laughs> we pray at mealtime, and I do this, and she does. Oh, oh man. And then I'll finish the prayer, and then she'll go. <laughs> oh, we're not done. Okay, let's do it again. And she'll be like three, four times. Like, okay, we got it. We can eat. Like, come on, you know. But um, so... So one of the, I began just, you know, I take her on a walk to settle her down before, you know, bedtime, and um, and I bring our dog Twinkie along, too, and so they get to hear me pray, because I'd be praying during those times, um, 
And uh, one of the prayers I was praying is that, Lord, just, I, I feel like you're asking me to surrender some rights here, you know, because I'm, I'm 50 years old. I've, I've raised my kids, you know, I mean, my, my two youngest are still finishing high school, but they're, they're on their way. And so, and I, I envision, you know, empty nest and luxury of extra time and all this stuff. And I'm just talking to the Lord about this and feel like he's, he's, feel like he's saying to me, here's that language, I think I hear him saying to me, um, and I was also giving him a list of reasons why I thought this wasn't probably going to work out, Lord. I mean, long term, I know this is going to work out, you know, I mean, for this reason and that reason. I kind of have my list going. And what I felt like I heard him say to me is, I, I hear the list. I understand the list. I, want you, I don't want to talk about the list right now. We'll get there. At some point, we can have a conversation about that list. Right now, here's my question to you, David. Am I still Lord? Do I still have your heart? Can, can I still call the shots in your life? Even if it means your 50s are going to look a little different. And I was like, oh, snap. Wow. And so I really began praying that through and trying not to just give. I knew what the right answer was, but I wanted to pray and have the right answer and have my heart catch up to what I knew the right answer was. So I was praying this way for several weeks. And then um, uh, this is right at the end of summer. And so then we're reconvening with our staff. Um, and, and Jeff, our team lead, was um, he had gone on a prayer retreat, taken a, a day to go pray just for himself. And also he took some time to pray for each person on staff, to really you know, bring each person on staff before the Lord and listen, listen very specifically, like he got his journal out. Like, Lord, do you have something you'd want me to, to share with them, to encourage them with? Yeah. And so, and he's, he went on some hike, almost got lost up at Mount Baker because it's fogged in, and he didn't know where the heck he was, and panicked for a while that he'd taken the wrong trail. And that could be a bad situation, but the Lord helped him. Um, and, um, and so he, you know, he prayed for me, and so he, he wrote down what he thought he heard, and what he thought he heard made, didn't make any sense to him. So we get together, uh, and we're hanging out and talking and, you know, just kind of doing the stuff we do. And then he said, oh, man, I was praying for you and really felt like the Lord, I, this is what I thought I heard the Lord say. And he's taking a step of faith. It's just like, I don't know if this makes any sense to you. So he said, this is, so he gets out his journal and it says, I feel like the Lord said this, I've heard your prayers, I'm going to cry, and I am pleased. I kid you not. I'm like, what? Are you, are you for real? Because I've been, and I told him, and he's just, wah! You know, he's all, This is crazy! Ah, it's the Lord! Just like, wah! You know, I'm bawling. He's jumping up and down, wah! You know, so, but I tell you, that, that word just spoken, all of a sudden I knew, you know, I don't know. It, God was with me. I knew, and he was speaking to me. Oh, it's just so powerful. I don't know what it, if you've ever been there where you just know God knows my situation. And God has spoken very directly into it. And boy, it was just, it was stabilizing for me. And it just encouraged me. And boy, do you, and it encouraged Jeff. I mean, he was just like, wow, I need to keep doing. I need to keep listening and, and stepping out in faith to be obedient. Because the Lord speaks. 
and he wants us to hear what he has to say. But so often he does it through each other. And so I, my, oh, my encouragement for, for us all is to be people who listen for each other, to listen and to pray for each other. Read your Bible. See how often God speaks to his people through other people. That's just all over in the scripture. What would happen if you and I, if we began, if in your small groups, if in your, you know, in your small groups, you really actively prayed for each other and listened to what God might say. Like, listen, like you get your journal out and you listen. And then just spend some time in your small group doing that. You know, and sometimes it just might be more general encouragement, but there might be times where you will have read somebody's mail and they will go, how in the world, what, how did you know that? Well, you didn't know that, but God knew it and God spoke to you. Man, so my encouragement, um, the role of community in hearing God's voice, I think that's just a huge part of how we, we learn to hear, okay? So um, let's move on. Uh, listening to your life. I think another way that we discern God's voice in our lives is by, and there's, uh, there's a particular author, uh, Frederick Buechner, uh, who coined this phrase, listening to your life. I mean, probably others have, but he's the one I learned it from. So Gordon, Gordon Smith says in, in the book, The Voice of Jesus, if we hear the voice of Jesus, it is in part because we have learned to be attentive to the details of our lives. You know, I think it's important to realize that God speaks, uh, doesn't always just speak through a sermon or, or through our Bible study, but he does, but he will speak to us in all kinds of ways, through all kinds of situations. And a lot of times, the very events of our life the very relationships that we're in become ways that he speaks to us. But we have to kind of tune ourselves into hearing and believing that he actually might be speaking. So there's a, uh, you probably heard of St. Augustine, um, one of the early church fathers, just powerful influence in, in our, our church, in our Christian faith. And he's writing in his spiritual autobiography, The Confessions of St. Augustine, kind of talking about his, his coming to faith and his experience with God. And so he's writing about a time before he'd actually really embraced Christ. He was uh, lived a wild life, <laughs> very wild life, um, and, uh, but was also a very deep thinker. And so he wasn't, uh, he wasn't your typical party guy. He was a smart party guy, is what St. Augustine was. Um, and he was wrestling over the Christian faith. And so he writes about how one day he was wrestling in his thoughts, and so about the faith and whether he could really believe in Christ. And so he writes about he withdrew to a, a private little garden. And at some point, he's, he's sitting in the garden, and he over somewhere close, but not in the garden, but close nearby, he overhears a, a small child playing. And then the child starts chanting a little nursery rhyme, which had the line, pick up and read, pick up and read. And it's... Uh, at that moment, he, he just, he says he had this sense that God 
had spoken directly to him through the child. I mean, the child was not talking to Augustine. The child was not talking about picking up and reading the Bible. But Augustine discerned God's word to him through the child, that he was to go and pick up the scripture and read. And so he, he left the garden. He went uh, to a scripture that he'd just been reading, went into Romans 13. And there uh, he, he fell upon a passage which Paul writes about, that we are to abandon the works of the flesh and be clothed with Christ. And Augustine just felt right at that moment God had spoken to him and he committed his heart to Christ. This idea that God might be speaking through the events of our lives, through the circumstances we find ourselves in, through very, um, you know, through, through our nursery rhyme for Augustine's situation. This idea of paying attention. It's, I was, um, I, I, I told this, uh, I shared this at uh, church this morning, but I was, uh, when I was flying down here, and uh, we had a layover in Portland, and so I had a, an hour or so in Portland before we flew down here. And so I, it was in the morning, so I had a little extra time to pray, and I felt like, oh, I should probably, you know, talk, listen to God, right? I'm going to talk to a whole bunch of students about hearing God. I should probably do that. That'd be good. Um, so I got my coffee and and uh, and had some scripture, and, and, and then just started listening and read some scripture. And I just had a sense, I don't know, I just felt like the Lord saying, just be ready, just be ready for this plane ride. Boop. That freaks me out. I'm kind of like, I don't like talking to strangers a whole lot. And on the plane, you know, that can get weird. And, you know, I don't know. So, but I just, you know, just just be ready. I, and I don't even know, I can't articulate exactly what it was, but that somehow he'd be speaking. And I just said, okay, well, Lord, whatever. I'll just try to be open. So, um, so I'm there sitting, uh, you know, in my seat. And, and one row up across the aisle, there's a, think she was a single mom, and she, uh, and she had this just beautiful baby. I mean, fat, chubby, oh, cheeks you just want to grab. I didn't, because I've been rude, but, um, but I wanted to, uh, and these blue eyes, and, 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 and so I kind of seen this, this baby a little bit, kind of been smiling and, and stuff, and, but I, I was reading, so I thought, well, I'm going to get out my book, so I'm reading discernment, Henry now, and bury myself in the book, right, so, and I, um, and, and so I, I started, I was reading a little bit, and then I, but I kept looking at this, this baby. And, and this baby was just like fixing its eyes on me, almost freaky, like, what's going on? And it would just smile at me, just smile. And I'd smile back, and there's the baby looking at me, smiling. I'm like, what's going on here? This is, I mean, just, but it felt so just warm and happy and this. And, and, and so I was reading, and then I came to this, this little part here. It, said, um, it says, the presence of God is often subtle, small, quiet, and hidden. Uh, a, shoot shall, a shoot shall sprout up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. And so he writes, our salvation comes from small, something small, tender, and vulnerable, something hardly noticeable. The Lord, who is the creator of the universe, comes to us in smallness, weakness, and hiddenness. When I have no eyes for the small signs of God's presence, the smile of a baby, oh my word! The carefully play of children, the words of encouragement, and gestures offered of love offered by friends, I remain blind. 
the promise of divine, the promise of divine presence is hidden. Oh, and I read that, and this child's still looking at me. <laughs> What's going on? Why, Lord, this is so awesome. I just, I felt him saying, I'm smiling at you. I'm just smiling at you. And so, but then I felt him say, you know, that'd be really cool if you, like, told the mom and read that. And I was like, oh, no. Come on, Lord. I don't know about that. Can we just leave it at you're smiling at me? I'll be happy with that. And so I kind of had for like 20 minutes just kind of get up, go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, when, when, when it seems right, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump. And so there was some conversation going on around. It's been kind of quiet and it still seemed kind of awkward. And then she was nursing the baby. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, but then she stopped and the baby was, was sleeping. And, and the, uh, the stewardess was talking to another person. So this a little, it was a little easier to talk. And so I just leaned up and said, I, I said, I hope this doesn't sound weird to you. I said, first of all, your baby's just amazing, just mesmerized. It's so beautiful. And, you know, any mom loves to hear that. And, and I said, and I tell you what, I've been reading this. I was reading this book. And, you know, I said, it's just about hearing God in discernment. And uh, it's just and how God shows up in small, hidden things. And I said, I just, I read this line. So I read it to her. I said, you know, uh, that God shows up in, in the smile of a baby. <laughs> She's like, wow, what book is that? You know, let me see that book. And, you know, and again, I didn't lead her to Christ or anything like that. We didn't have much of a conversation beyond that. But I, I did feel the sense that the Lord just wanted me to just quietly then pray for her and that God would, would know that in the smile of a child, he smiles at her. I don't know her story, but I just had a sense. Whew, man, sorry to get so emotional, but it was so powerful. And again, I had this sense of God speaking to me. But, it, you know, I, it was just through the smile of a child, and then I just happened to be reading that passage. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And so it just reminded me I need to pay attention to my life. God may be trying to speak to me, uh, and I just need to hear that. So, um, an encouragement. Another way is if you listen to our life is I think so in the moment listen to your life. That's what I'm saying. God may be saying something to you, but also as you reflect on, on kind of your, your life story in a broader sense. Listen to your life. Um, you know, it's uh, reflecting on our story is an important discipline for us as Christians. Think about how much uh, of the scriptures is actually story form. It's narrative, right? It's story. And in these stories, we're invited to reflect both on the life of the person, maybe who's the story's about, but it's also inviting us to reflect on our own life as we read that story. And so I would really want to encourage us to learn to reflect on your story. Some of you, that's more natural than others. Some of you are natural kind of reflective people, and you think about the experiences you had, the conversations you had, the encounters you had. So for you, this is kind of your jam. This is easy. Like, I do this stuff. Others of you, this might be a bit of a stretch out of your life, okay? But learning to, to actually think that God might be speaking to me, teaching me something. You know, um, uh, I, and, and kind of doing it in, in bigger chunks even. You know, what have been some of the the major events of your life, what have been some of the major situations, maybe some of the disappointments, some of the highlights, and beginning to, to think about those and have a sense of maybe what God's trying to say through that. You know, one of the ones I've, I've, as I've kind of thought through my longer journey 
is there are times I've had this sense that God has said to me through my story, um, you kind of got your plans and you'd like it to work out this way, but actually I'm going to blow it up and I'm going to have it work out a different way. And it'll always be better. You know, I sensed that, you know, back when I was in high school and thought I'm going to date this girl, blah, 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 you know, and do all that thing. And, and now, of course, looking back, happily married for 25 years, I can look back and go, man, wow, God really had something better for me. But, you know, but I, it was hard at first to kind of let go of how I thought it was going to be. Um, similar vein, I said this at the at church this morning, so if you were there, you already heard this. But, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I decided I was going to be a pastor. I grew up Lutheran. I was going to be a Lutheran pastor. You wear the cool robes and, you know, do all that stuff. And I was going to be a pastor. Um, and, uh, and I had a lot planned out. I, was, I went to a Lutheran Bible school out of high school. And then I was going to go two years to Western Washington University just to pick up my liberal arts stuff and then go back to the Bible school. That fourth year of the Bible school, I was going to find a wife. You know, then I learned a lot of people. There was like 200 people in this Bible school. So it was going to be some slim picking. So I was going to find a wife. And, and we were going to go... I know. I'm just going to get a wife, just like I'm going to go get a can of Coke or something. I don't know. But. So, um, and then we're going to, and then we're going to go to the mid, I was going to go to seminary in the Midwest, to St. Louis in Missouri, because there was a Lutheran seminary there. I need a wife because it's cold there, and you've got to have one there. Okay, so, right? So, I had it all planned out. And then I was going to be a pastor at a Lutheran church with a lot of rich old people. We'd, drink, we'd sit around and have coffee and tea, and I don't know, just... They give me a lot of money, and it was great. I had I had a plan. So, and then I went to Western, and God just kind of blew it all up. And and I got involved with with the, with CCF the ministry there, and, and and felt like I wasn't supposed to go into you know being a Lutheran pastor. And then and it just all of a sudden I'm well, I'm going to be working. I, I did an internship, and I'm he's calling me in the campus ministry. Well, Lord, they don't have any money. I mean. They can't get big offerings, and they'll drink coffee with me, so that's good. I like that part, you know. And so, and he just redirected it, and but, but sure enough, it became, it became something that just it energized me, and I realized, ah, oh, this is this Lord made me for this. I really like this, and I, you know, as I think back on it, I realize that God, He knows what He's doing, um, and He, it's as if He was saying, you know. Uh, David, I know the plans I have for you, and it's going to look different, a little more scarier than your own plans, but if you surrender and trust those plans to me, I'm going to make it work out. It's going to be good. I'm going to bless you. And so I see that as I listen to my life, that's been a theme that's gone through it. And I still I still hear that because I have visions now, well, what does it look like, you know, when I'm 50 and, you know, and I thought I would become the director, and I'm not going to be the director. And I feel the Lord saying the same thing to me. Who's, who's, who's the agenda are we running now? Who's in charge? And haven't I shown you through your life journey that, in fact, it doesn't work out the way you think it will or should, but it actually ends up working out better? I'm like, oh, right, that's a lesson you've been teaching me through, these, through my life. I need to remember that here in this particular situation. And so my encouragement is to think about your life, pay attention to the events of your life, because God is speaking to you through them. The question is, will you listen and reflect and hear what he's saying? So an encouragement for you, journal. Journal. Do some journaling. It's a great discipline and way to listen to God. Journal about the events of your life, about 
significant conversations you've had. Uh, I've, I've, I've tried to, I, I haven't been real good at this, but when I go and listen to a sermon now, instead of just trying to take notes, I actually at times try to just journal what I think God's saying to me through it. Now, there's times it's good to get the notes, and, you know, oh, that's a good point. I like that. I want to say that. But, you know, it's, I also want to be actively, but what are you saying to me through this? Lord? This isn't just to get a nice, you know, notes that I might at some point look at later. It's, it's meant for me to hear what you're trying to say through me. And so trying to actually, even at times writing a prayer in the midst of the sermon, like I feel like you're saying this to me, Lord. It's just as a way to begin reflecting uh, our, on our situation, our circumstances. Okay? And, you, and my encouragement then, if you do enough journaling over time, another discipline to do with that is then you, you, I, I'll sometimes grab a chunk of time to just read through my journal over maybe a year or a, a six-month period. Um, and I can tell sometimes when I haven't journaled very much, it's not much to read. But other times when I'm a little more consistent, it's very interesting. The, the things I'm writing about, the things I'm praying and, and a lot of times I, I'll begin to sense a theme and that God's saying something and he often says, he often says it repeatedly. And sometimes it's very, you know, short phrases that actually come through. So one that I, I have lately read is, and it's just funny, I mean, it's from the Bible, but love your wife. Okay. I better do a better job of that. Love your wife. That's, and I, there's times I've just been silent, and either I've read my journal or just even in silence, and I've heard him say, love your wife. And, and that's it. That's all I said. But I knew it was him. It just came with this voice and this authority. Like, that's the Lord. He just said that to me. Okay. I better journal about that. And where, how, how can I better love her? What does that look like? You know? As I prayed through this whole situation with Al- Alma Luna, the only word I've really heard now specifically is, father to the fatherless. That's what he said, father to the fatherless. How long, Lord? Father to the fatherless. <laughs> Are we supposed to adopt her? Father to the fatherless. Could somebody else adopt her? Father to the fatherless. Okay, I got it. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he doesn't give me any more. That's what he says. So my encouragement, just listen to your life, and God will say things to you, Okay. Okay, I want us just to take, just stand up, wiggle for like two minutes, um, and, and then we'll move on. Um. So, on the center screen, there's some numbers there. If you have some, we'll have some Q&A at the end, because this may raise some questions, and I'll, I'll do my best. Sometimes I just say, I don't know. Um, that's allowed. But I've tried to do my best. Um, and so, but there's a, some numbers. If you have a question that comes up, or you already have one, um, text it, and... Um, some of the staff is going to kind of filter through those and, and see if there's common ones that are getting asked or ones they dislike or maybe this ones they want to ask. And we'll spend some time, okay? So everybody, once you've got one of those numbers, 
And uh, if you have a question that you're itching to have asked, have me try to address, then just send your question to that number. Okay? All right. Hopefully y'all, y'all, sorry. I'm, I'm such a Northwestern. I grew up in Seattle, what can I say? Um, hopefully you guys <laughs> got those numbers. Okay. All right. Let us continue on. So we, uh, the role of community, so where we hear the voice of God, um, listening to a life. I really actually love that whole, that whole idea. I just think it's beautiful. It's incarnational. It's how God tends to, he tells us a story. He has us listen to our story and, and have a sense of what he's saying to us through it. That, that one just gets me fired up. I love it. So um, the next one, uh, I don't know if I, what track am I supposed to do anything here or no? Low delay. Okay, you told me that. I'm sorry. The next one is paying attention to our emotions. Ooh. There you go. Okay? Paying attention to our emotions. Whoa! Okay. Glad I got everybody excited. Pay attention to that. Okay. Paying attention to your, our emotions. You could listen to them too, but... Um, It's this whole idea of, of never listening to the still small voice that is, is just that God is speaking to us through our uh, inner world, of our thoughts and our inner consciousness. Part of that has to do with our emotions, right? Because these are things he uses to, to speak to us. And so uh, a fairly long quote there from Gordon Smith, but um, worth it, I think. Discernment then, and by discernment, it's a way of, of hearing God. Uh, is not merely a matter of rational analysis and weighing the pros and cons and seeking to respond with a biblically informed mind. These are important, by the way, so we're not saying they're not important, but it isn't merely that, um, to the affections we are facing. Neither is discernment a matter of pure revelation, what some call a word from the Lord, although that can happen and is, is important too, but rather it is a way of knowing, and this is what I want us to see, a way of knowing and seeing that is experienced as a profound interplay of intellect and emotion in which head and heart are informing and guiding each other. And spirit, of course, is in the midst of that, shining his lamp. Discernment is a matter of attending to both the circumstances of our lives and the emotional contours of our hearts. In fact, um, I would probably say, um, and I think other Christians would say that, uh, who have walked closely with the Lord, that we, um, we don't know ourselves and we don't really know God or the presence of God in us without being able to make some sense of what's happening to us emotionally. Now all the psychology majors out there are, ah, preach it, you know, all three of you, but... <laughs> no, there's probably more out there. I met one of you. Mercedes, right? You were, yeah, wherever you went. You were, uh, yeah, you psychology major. So, um, so, Smith, to quote him again, we do, not, we do not mature in our Christian experience unless we mature emotionally. What happens to us emotionally is not peripheral, 
that's central to our religious experience. To put it bluntly, people who are out of touch with their emotions are out of touch with God. For God speaks to us through the ebb and flow of our emotional lives. Whew, I, that's pretty, I mean, you know, probably us guys are like, uh-oh. <laughs> but I don't, I, it, isn't just a, 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 it isn't just a female thing to be in touch with emotions. I think guys actually feel, feel deeply not always as expressive, perhaps, but still feel, okay? Um, so if we're going to discern the voice of God, the movement of the Spirit within us, it's going to necessitate that we develop the capacity to be attentive to what is happening to us emotionally. And I want us to think about how often we do use emotional language when we talk about hearing God's voice and his leading. We actually use emotional language quite a bit. I feel like God is saying, bum, 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 right? I, as I prayed, I, I just don't sense a peace about the situation or relationship. I don't sense. That's, that's actually emotional language there. I mean, we don't necessarily put an emotion to it, but a lack of peace, which is usually an emotionally subjective experience that we're having, right? Um, or I feel really good about switching schools or my major. I'm really experiencing the joy and the freedom of the Lord in this. You know, we put some good Christian words on there. But it's an emotional statement, what we're making. That God somehow, his, the way we're feeling is somehow God's leading in our life. And I would actually say that's, it's not wrong. That's not wrong at all. Because uh, I think God can use and does and wants to use our feelings as a way of speaking and guiding us. But it can be tricky, can't it? That's tricky business, <laughs> right? It's tricky business because emotions are tricky. For some of us, it's, it's just difficult for us to even know what we're feeling. You know, some of us are there like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, two emotions. I'm feeling hungry. I'm feeling full, right? Those are kind of my two emotions I'm experiencing. You know, we, we have, uh, my wife and I, we do some pre-engagement, premarital counseling stuff, and there's this, this sheet that has all these emotions, and, all, and they're just these simple little, little, little facial, you know, stick figures with a little facial expression, but they're really drawn well to kind of show the different emotions, and, and so sometimes we'll say, well, if you can't quite say what you're feeling, point to the one that shows the one you're feeling. I'm feeling that one there. Okay. All right. You're feeling, you know, embarrassed or whatever, okay? So, um... So sometimes it's just difficult to actually draw out, what is it I'm feeling? It's actually, again, a good journaling exercise to be able to do a little bit of that. What am I feeling right now? Now, sometimes that sounds so schmaltzy, you know, like, what am I feeling? Um, but I actually think it's pretty profound. It's actually part of being self-aware. And, and as we get to know God, we get to know ourselves. Knowledge of God leads to knowledge of self. And, um, and it's, it's in that knowledge of self that we can actually, I think, get to hear what God's saying about ourselves. Okay? Um, and just by the way, there's a, a good book that might help you with this whole emotional thing. is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. I didn't put that on a slide or in your outline, but Emotionally Healthy Spirituality 
by Peter Scazzaro, who's a, a, a pastor in the East Coast, really successful, but just emotionally was out of touch with himself and just kind of had a train wreck in his life and, and, and kind of writes then learning to attend to emotions and understand what's going on. So for some of us, it's, it's difficult because we don't know actually what we're feeling. Other times, we really know what we feel, but, but you know, it's just it's not always reliable, right? You've probably heard, uh, we say this in our ministry, and maybe it's, I think it's said here too, uh, what we feel is real, but it's not always true. <laughs> what we are feeling is real, but it's not always true, okay? So, for example, sometimes a person feels like they're, they're just feel, they feel worthless. They feel like they're a loser. They feel like they're unlovable. Uh, they feel like, you know, nobody, nobody cares about them. And those feelings are intensely real. They really, really feel those things. But in fact, they may not really be true. They, they aren't true. They're not true according to God's word and, and might not be true according to the, the friendships that they have. Right? But they are real, but they're not always true. Or sometimes, you know, somebody may feel that God's approving of their, their desire to divorce their partner because they just don't feel in love anymore. And they feel like God says, it's okay for me just to dump them. Or God says, it's really okay for me to, you know, sleep with my boyfriend, sleep with my girlfriend. I really feel like God said that was okay. And of course, we know, well, one, it's in the scripture, so we know he didn't say that. Um, and, and you may feel it, but you may feel it's okay, but you're really mistaken. Your feelings are mistaken. So, so emotions are slippery, right? Um, how do we navigate our emotions? How do we get in a place where we could actually begin to trust them and, and think God's speaking to us through those emotions? So this is this is a part of the talk. It's a little different. It comes, it, uh, but I found it really helpful. I got it out of uh, my class up at Regent. Um, if you want kind of to go a little more in depth, you can read um, Gordon Smith's book, The Voice of Jesus. He takes uh, takes quite a bit of time to talk through this. Um, and where he takes us is he takes us to Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Okay, I'm sure all of you are very familiar with Saint Ignatius. Catholic priest in the 1500s, he founded the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits, so you may have heard of them. Um, and he wrote a classical work called Spiritual Exercises. And, um, and in that, he was, he was very uh, concerned that we not ignore our feelings, but that we learn to negotiate them and navigate them accurately as a way of God's leading and hearing his voice in our life. And so he had um, kind of three key points and con or conclusions. And I just kind of wanted to talk those, us through those a little bit, and then I'll just give a couple examples of my life, how I saw that playing out, okay? So um, the, the first kind of conclusion he had is that he believed that in the process of discerning the Lord's voice, it is usually our feelings, it's our feelings that we're discerning. And, and there's probably some real... A lot of times when we're sensing, should I do this or that? And a lot of it, we're, it's kind of an emotional thing. We're trying to have a sense of, what, what do I feel about this? And, and am I thinking God's in this? And it is actually 
fooling. Um, it's the emotional disposition of our heart that we're focusing our reflection on by the leading of the Spirit, that the Spirit leads us through that. The Spirit brings his candle into our inner, inner thoughts, inner feelings, and begins to, to speak to us, shed light on them. And he categorized, now we'll be happy for those of us who don't have a very wide emotional vocabulary. We'll be happy because he boils it down to two. I like this guy already. This is awesome. Two broad kinds of movements of the heart, emotions, desolation and consolation, okay? So let's just, desolation, it's an emotional orientation where faith is diminished, where hope and love uh, are diminished, where we maybe experience anger or fear or discouragement, inner malaise or confusion, a disconnectedness from God. And he calls that desolation. There's a little uh, little lake up by Mount Baker, and it's called Desolation Pond because all the trees are, like, dead in it. And it's kind of a sad little lake, but, yeah, I know. But Mount Baker's right there. That's very beautiful. But Desolation Pond, they have a lot of fish in it, but that's another story. Okay, so Desolation. The other one is Consolation, which we're probably a little more familiar with. Consolation, it's the state of peace and joy in which one senses a deep connection to God that there's a deepening of faith and of hope and of love, and it's just this general sense of this is right, this is good, and, and, and there's, there's kind of a resonance with this. And so in discernment, we're being attentive to these two experiences, desolation, consolation. Okay? And the, um, whoops. So the second thing that Laura wants us to, to get a hold of, so one is that we're discerning our feelings. Second, as we've already observed, kind of repeating Laura here, that emotions are tricky. They are hard to navigate and can easily lead a person astray. And so what he does is develop some rules for how do we navigate what we're feeling. That's kind of what his, his work is all about. How do we, what do we do with desolation? What do we do in consolation? So just imagine yourself in a particular situation. Maybe you're trying to hear the Lord's voice and get some guidance on something. Switching majors or switching schools or you're, you're not sure if this is relationship is, is I'm supposed to be in it. Okay? Something that would, you know, you really want to hear the Lord's voice on. You want to get a sense of what he's saying. And you've done your work with the scripture, etc. You've prayed and, and, and you've got some counsel, but you're still trying to just kind of, trying to sense what he's saying. Okay, so put yourself in that. And then Lorella said you need to discern, are you in desolation or consolation? Um, and what he would say is if you're in desolation, then we shouldn't make any decision. We shouldn't move, you know, uh, we shouldn't make a decision out of desolation. So if you're like, I don't know whether to quit school and go do something else. He would say if you're in a place of desolation, don't do anything. Don't make a decision out of that place. If you're, if you're feeling disconnected from God, if you're feeling anger, fear, any of these things, you probably don't want them to make the move. Because he says this, the simple principle is that God does not lead in desolation. He will not lead that way. God doesn't use fear tactics. He doesn't use condemnation. He doesn't stir us with anger or condemnation. He does, that is simply not 
his spirit. He just doesn't operate that way. Part of learning to discern God's voice is to know what he's like and how he would speak to you and to I. He will not ever speak in a finger-wagging. Now, he will confront. I'm not saying he won't confront or you know, convict us of sin, but he won't do it in an in a angry, degrading, you're a scumbag and you're a blah, 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 blah. You know, that is simply isn't who he is. And so Loretta would say, you can't, can't act in those times, okay? Um, and then he would say, um, another rule that we must experience, or another thing that we have to, to work through, say we're in a state of consolation. I'm feeling good about this. I'm feeling joy. I'm feeling peace. He says, you're going to, he has some rules for how to discern whether that's from God. Because you know, people can say some crazy things that God told them to do. They're feeling good about it. And you're like, I think the devil told you to do that. Because that doesn't sound like God at all. It's either not lining up with the scripture or it doesn't seem to be matching with God's personality and how, you know, how he just does business, what he values. Well, God told me. And, you know, isn't that a conversation ender? Oh, okay. Well, how do you know God told you that? I mean, we've got to be able to, how, and how do you know that just because you're feeling good about it that he's actually telling you that? Let's talk about that. Lorella wants us to be able to navigate that a bit, okay? And, and I'll give an example of how that happened kind of in my own life. And then the third one is um, that uh, humility, prayerful humility is the context for proper discernment. And humility means seeing myself in truthfully, having an honest assessment, okay? Um, so those are kind of his, his, uh, his, his rules there. And so um, I just want to give a couple examples that I think that would be helpful. Okay. Um, so when I was a, a student at Wester, a uh, small group leader, I went through this kind of weird period of my life where I really thought I was hearing from the Lord. This is why I told you at one point this whole topic made me nervous. I got kind of gun-shy because I kind of felt like I just didn't navigate some of this stuff very well in my life. And I, you know, I'm convinced now it's just probably neurotic, but... Um, I, spiritually so, I just felt, you know, that God was telling me to do certain kinds of things. And they, they were good things, but they were a little, a little obsessive. Like, I would confess to somebody, but then I didn't feel like I confessed enough. So I'd have to go back and confess. And, and I remember once having very awkward conversations with one girl that I thought I'd kind of let her on. And, and maybe I had, and so I kind of had to confess to her because I wasn't ready to date. You know, I didn't want to do that. But then I felt like I needed to do it again. And again, I mean, the poor girl was like, dude, just get away. It's fine. I mean, just go away. You know, she didn't actually, but. And we're still friends, amazingly. I led her, she, she married the guy who led, I led core with. It's awesome. So they, su they support me. They're supporters. So it's wonderful. Okay. Um, so it all worked out. But, um, and, I, and I would do certain things that I just felt like, to prove my repentance and stuff. And I just, and I thought the Lord was kind of in this. But what I found is that I was, I was getting from um, increasingly uh, filled with guilt. Even though I was doing these things, I was feeling a lot of condemnation. I was feeling not very joyful. And I was actually resenting God and feeling like he was a real taskmaster and I could never do enough to please him. Maybe some of you, that's your experience. I don't know. Um, and I was in, I was, I didn't have the term for it, but I was in a place of desolation. And, and, uh, um, 
I was, yeah, faith was diminished in my life. And it really took the role of the community, other spiritual mentors, uh, to help me kind of navigate my feelings and to realize that they weren't from God. And it was very hard for me not to think that they weren't from God. I mean, it really took an act of faith to think that's not God. It's not God. That's either my own neurosis or the devil. But I had a kind of journey for a while where I felt a little bit in limbo, like, oh, this is okay. I'm not going to act on that. I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's the Lord. And, but, and gradually, this kind of the light came back into my soul and joy began to fill me again. And I began to discern when he actually was asking me to do things versus kind of either when my own kind of perfectionistic or, or you know, guilt-ridden conscience was, was trying to drive me to do things. Um, so the feelings were very real, but they were so not true. They were so not the voice of God in my life. Um, so that's one experience where I kind of had to discern a, a season of, of uh, um, desolation in my life. There's another uh, where I had to discern what I thought was consolation. That I was feeling like, this is from the Lord, but it was positive and it was good. Um, and uh, I was feeling that I was supposed to leave you know, Bellingham, you know, Bellingham for me is the Shire, you know, it's, it's the Shire. Now, this is where Frodo wants to get back to, you know, so to leave the Shire, was just, oh, I don't, you know, but I was, I felt like I was supposed to go, and, uh, and it became an opportunity to become a, a director at the University of Idaho, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to do that, um, and, and so at that point, we just had our three, uh, our three boys, Sadie wasn't born yet, so we kind of, and they were young, and we packed them up, and we went over there, and checked it out, and walked the campus, and, you know, talked to some people, and talked to one of the pastors there, and I just was feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, yeah, I think the Lord's in it, we're doing it, and, and my wife was like, I'm not feeling it, like, oh, you know, you, you, you talk about this in pre, pre-marital and pre-engagement all the time. What happens if you hit the big impasse, you know? Um, so we talked about it, and, 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 and then as I invited other kind of mentors in my life into the conversation, you know, so I had to take Shelly's check seriously, but I had to figure out, well, why, but I really feel like the Lord's in this, and it seems like the right thing to do, right, spiritual thing. And, um, and so Loyola says we need to test our feelings of consolation, and these tests have to do with motive. What's motivating me in this? Because it may be that I'm feeling motivated by self-interest or self-ambition rather than God. So he talks about uh, uh, tests of maybe desire for wealth or for pleasure, for fame, for recognition or influence. Sometimes those things stir us and they make us want to go do a thing, but God's not actually in it. And as I began to kind of discern my feelings of consolation, I realized that I was actually being driven by feelings of insecurity. That I actually felt the need to prove my worth. I would have these little fantasy pictures of me walking in with my own group into like winter camp. And there's David, and they would all bow before me. As the, the beloved lost son from Bellingham who went off and pioneered his own group. And, not, and God called people to do that. And it wasn't like that's a bad thing. But I realized I was really driven by my own insecurity. I had at one point told the Lord, I will not be an associate anymore. When I'm, by the time I'm 40, I'm not doing it. i gotta, I got to be directing. Well, there's a problem, the Lord says. Because I think the idea is that you do what I ask you to do. Oh, right. 
So these things are stirring in my heart. And, and you know, we kind of, as I began to discern and, and realize that the deeper work God wanted to do with me involved me staying in Bellingham as an associate so that I could find my identity more deeply rooted in him, not based on perceived importance or status that comes to a position. That was the work he wanted to do, and that meant I needed to stay. Once I, once I got there and realized the Lord was always talking to Michelle, he kind of, uh, was kind of speaking to her about this whole move thing, and then speaking to me, I, and I felt a great peace, like a real peace. I knew, okay, this is what God's, this is what he's up to. And I could stay in my beloved Shire. It's wonderful. Now, he may call me away at some point, but that's, that's up to him, okay? So, all of this saying that discernment is a matter of attending to the contours of our heart, what we're feeling, examining our hearts and letting the Spirit speak to us in that. Okay, again, if you want more detail, you can, you can you know, go grab this book, or you can just get St. Ignatius's book, Classical, uh, the class, what is it called? Spiritual Exercises. Or you could just, Smith probably be a little more helpful because he'll kind of put it in our language. So, okay? Um, okay, uh, let's, I want you to take one minute um, and just um, think to yourself and maybe write down uh, out of these three ways I just talked about uh, where we can discern God's voice, them being the, the role of community, other believers, listening to your life or paying attention to your emotions, which one do you feel most comfortable with and which one do you feel most challenged with, challenged by? I just want you to write it down. Your assignment will be at some point in your in your one-to-one -one with your mentor, your discipler, to talk about that. Okay? I just want to make, I was going to have us do it at the tables, but I think I just have that. You can take that as some homework and follow up. Out of those three, which one, and you can include the, the three foundations too, you know, you could put those in there as well, the scriptures, silence, and the real relationship with, with God. Which one do you seem to be feeling good about in your life, and which one really seems to be challenging you? This would really stretch you, feeling stretched by this idea. So just take a minute and do that. And then staff, you can try to maybe follow up just as a way to do, do some, some work with this uh, teacher theology after our time. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the, the probably the next, uh, it's about 17-ish minutes, and I'm just going to kind of, 
go pretty quickly through this last little section. I just felt like I wanted to talk a little bit about vocation, discerning vocation. Because especially for you all as, as students, most of you, um, you're kind of in the midst of trying to hear God's voice and his senses leading in terms of your next step, whether it's further education or, or jumping into a particular career or, you know, a, apprenticeships with focus or whatever, right? You're, you're trying to hear what he's saying. And so I thought it was worth, uh, I'd say it would be very necessary systematic, but just some thoughts for you to think about that may be helpful. Um, and, and you can, you know, probably do some more follow-up with, with each other on it. Um, but it's a, it's a big one, right? It's a biggie for you all where you're at in your stage of life. It's intensely personal um, because ultimately nobody else can make those choices for you, right? You have to decide, am I going to, you know, get a master's? Am I going to jump into this field? Am I doing this major? Um, ultimately, pretty much you make those decisions, unless you have a very controlling somebody in your life, and then you probably need to talk about that, okay? Um, and, and, and the truth is, it isn't just in this stage of life. You know what? You're going you're gonna to end up, uh, you might work a job for a while, and then you're going to have to decide, am I going to move up in this, you know, in this company, or am I going to switch and go over here, I'm going to move locations. You never kind of, you actually never escape that, this whole thing of discerning vocation. You're kind of in it, you know, uh, unless you're just going to retire at age 25. But even then, you better decide what the Lord has for you in that, okay? Um, and so just some thoughts there. Um, they're not exhaustive, and this could be a whole piece of theology, and I'm going to do it in about, you know, 15 minutes. But I just thought it was worth talking about, okay? So uh, a few thoughts here that might be helpful. Understand your true vocation. Your true vocation. Here's, here's something we should think of. We're all called to the same vocation, actually. The Latin, uh, vocation comes from the Latin vocatio, which means voice. To call or to summon. We are all, we all have the same voice calling us. We all have the same call, and that is Christ who calls us to follow him. We're all called as ministers. And I don't mean in the, the, that's how I make my money sense. That's how I do for a living. But in the sense of minister as servants of Christ. You know, sometimes we do this in, at CCF. We'll say, how many ministers are here in the room? And we expect everybody to raise their hand, right? How many of you are ministers? You all are ministers. You're all called into Ministry. Now, some of you will, will do it in, in more formal, that's my career, like I'm a pastor, missionary, but we're all called. So I'd want us to have that in our, our, in our hearts. So the planner, the teacher, the businessman, the homemaker, the politician, who are in Christ, all have the same vocation, which is to love and follow Christ and make him known in our world. So Henry Nowen, in that, this book, Discernment, that I mentioned earlier, uh, speaks about this, and I just thought it was a helpful quote. My broader vocation is simply is to simply enjoy God's presence, do God's will, and be grateful wherever I am. The question of where to live and what to do is really insignificant compared to the question of how to keep the eyes of my heart focused on the Lord. There is no such thing as the right place or the right job. 
I found that really challenging. Now, um, now that doesn't mean, what I don't want us to hear from that is that the Lord won't direct you to some really specific things. I think he does. But the broader context is that we're, we're all called to the same thing. And, and, and you know, I, I sometimes joke as past, you know, for those of us who make our, our living as pastors, you know, in the new heaven, new earth, we're going to have to get, you know, vocational retraining. Because they won't need us. You all won't need us. You'll, you'll just know it. You'll know the Lord. And so I'm going to have to learn a trade, I guess. You know, that'll probably be good for me. I'll enjoy that. I think I'll be a plumber or something like that, okay? I don't know if we'll need plumbing in any way, but um, we'll have to figure that one out, okay? Go read your Bibles and see how very little there is given to the idea of choosing wisely your career choice. It just doesn't seem to be the, the authors of Scripture's concern. How you live and, and how you love others, how you love God, oh, tons of that. But there's very little counsel about what you should do. Now, part of it was probably first century, and when it was written, there wasn't a lot of options. We didn't, they didn't live in our setting where we had a lot of freedom to make those kinds of choices. But I also think it, it simply has to do with what, what they're really concerned about. Scripture says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. The emphasis on is on who you ultimately do your work for, rather than what kind of work you do. I think that's helpful. Just is a helpful beginning place. Okay. Uh, see all vocations as sacred. And it, oh, yeah, there we go. That kind of follows this up. Uh, once we embrace and recognize our true vocation, we'll understand that almost all possible expressions of our first vocation can and should be sacred. Smith says this, we will not hear God's call and discern our vocation unless we are persuaded of the potential sacredness of all vocations. I think that's a very helpful thought. If we think there's a spiritual hierarchy, pastors and missionaries either on the top or the bottom, depending your persuasion, you know, lawyers and politicians on the top or the bottom, depending on your, depending on your persuasion, we're not thinking biblically at that point. And I think we're in danger of dismissing whole sectors of the work world as unholy or second class. And so... Uh, it skews your view of how you will spend your six days of work, or five, depending on how many you're working. And it's go you're going to run the risk of not being open to some forms of work that God may have gifted for you and actually be calling you into because we wrongly think it's not holy or it's second class. Some of you, the Lord's going to call to be, you know, in the finance industry. Heaven knows we need some godly finance people, right, who aren't just trying to think about the bottom line. Oh, my goodness, what a train wreck we got into, right, from 2008 on, because we didn't have enough Christians who really sensed either they weren't living out their faith and it capitulated to the world, or they just didn't sense they should be in that industry, basically. You know, what one, one person said, the banker has to be as holy or holier than the pastor because the banker holds the world in his hands every day in terms of the money. Ah, I love that. That's a beautiful, beautiful uh, idea. Some of you are going to be called to be, you know, politicians. 
oh please, some of you, become politicians. Help us as we enter this election season, right? Um, and that is as sacred as the calling of a missionary pastor, okay? So I just think that's super important. Okay, gotta keep moving on. Have an accurate awareness of yourself. Here's the fact, you've been told a lie growing up in America. You ready with the liars? You can do whatever you want to do. Now, there's, I understand they're speaking about the opportunities we have and, and mobility, and there's some, I understand what's being said, and I can appreciate that, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's not always a very helpful uh, thing to say. You know, you know, the guy who's 5'5", five, five, weighs 120 pounds, doesn't have an athletic bone in his body, is probably not going to be an offensive lineman for the Cowboys or the Seahawks. I just hate to say it. You're just not going to do it, right? You're just not going to do that. You might take some, you know, performance-enhancing drugs and try to get there, but it's, you know, or the, 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 the person who's tone deaf and can't carry a tune in the bucket is probably not going to, you know, be on the big stages uh, on Broadway. How is that going to happen? They might be behind there, like, pulling the curtain up or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. that. Here's what I'm saying. Okay, that um, we need to be have clarity about our real circumstances, not live in a fantasy world, not a dream world of the perfect script that you know that we would write for ourselves. Because oftentimes God wants to write a different one anyway. Let's see if I put this in there. Yeah, I put that in there for you. Okay, uh, Smith says again. Um, when people are incapable of coming to terms with their vocational identity, it is usually either because they fail to accept who they are, or they are holding on to illusions about the world in which they live. So we need to have clarity about who we are and our circumstances. And, and so what's important there is self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is important. Paul says this, Romans 12, 3, that we are to examine ourselves soberly. In terms of vocation, it means examining kind of the hard data. What are my skills? What are my abilities? In terms of the soft data, it has to do with dreams, longings, things that have give me joy, temperament, personality, that kind of thing. Our calling is going to be consistent with how God has made us, how he's wired us, which is wonderful. He's, he's wired us a certain way, given us certain passions, giftings, aptitudes, and, and in his Helping us discern vocation, he's going, those are going to come into play. So we better have a sense of that in our own life. What, what gets me going? What gives me hope? What, what seems beautiful to me? What matters to me? What brings me joy? What makes me angry? Where do I feel like I want to make a difference? What's the thing I want to do that would just bring me, it would, wouldn't even feel like work, but somebody's going to pay me to do it. You've got you to know those things. So it doesn't always mean that's exactly what God's going to call you into, but it, it becomes helpful. And so in this pursuit of self-knowledge, we're going to need time for self-reflection. You're going to need some of that solitude time and to listen. And you're going to need the community. You're going to need other people to help discern and, and call those things out of you. Here's a, a quote that's helpful for that. We walk in company, we're to walk in company with others who challenge our perceptions about ourselves as well as our world. 
These are people who are prepared to challenge us when we understate our ability and our potential. Some of you are just, just can never see yourself doing anything, and others might say, I can be good. I see that in you. Or who will just as graciously tell us to get in touch with reality when we overstate who we are. And we need people like that in our lives. You know? Come on, bro. Get in touch. I love you, but no. I mean, you say it more lovingly than that, right? But we need people to help us. And again, discernment and vocation is a community. We co-discern with each other in this. I hope in your small groups, I hope with your mentors you're doing that, you know. Help me, who do you see me becoming? And, and, and what do you, you know, part of my journey is whether I was really wired to be a director or not with some of those conversations. And I could do it, but I realized I wouldn't find a lot of joy in it. It's not my, my wheelhouse. I just thought it would be cool. And once I kind of came to a self-awareness of what actually where I thrive and the roles I thrive in, ah, I, it really helped me kind of discern you know, what my role should be, okay? Um, and this takes great humility. And again, humility is seeing yourself truthfully. Embracing both gifts and strengths as well as weaknesses. Uh, I don't think I have a slide here for this one, but uh, it's discern your motives. Discern your motives. I didn't put that in there, but just understanding that sometimes our motives, like I shared my own story, can be not good motives for why I'm going to choose the career path. I just want to be filthy rich. Oh, okay. Well, maybe Jesus wants you not to be filthy rich. But he's wanted you to do some other things that you won't be as rich, but you'll really be good at it and it'll really serve the kingdom. Oh, ah, you know, what's your motive? You know, uh, I think I think it's for both guys and gals. I know, especially guys, you kind of identify our identities based on, on our work. A lot of times, guys, the first question we'll ask each other is, oh, well, what do you do for work? You know, we're kind of sizing each other up. You know, girls kind of look at each other physically. Guys look at some of the occupation and the paycheck. We're just sizing ourselves up. Oh, you look at it, you know, you work at the, uh, we have AM, PMs. I don't know what you guys have, little gas station mini marks, you know. That's not a good job. You know, if somebody said that, we'd be really under-impressed, right? Oh, well, I'm a CEO of blah, 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 blah. Oh, wow, you're important. I've decided I quit asking. I'm trying to not even ask guys when I meet them what they do for work. I just don't even ask. I don't really care what you do for work. What kind of person are you? <laughs> right? Are you a loving person? Are you a caring, generous person? I could give a rat's rear whether you're CEO of this company. Right? I'm just being real with you, okay? So, okay. So, but sometimes we're tempted to think of vocation in terms of, of self, you know, either insecure or self-ambitious motives. And I think the Lord needs to deal with us in that um, and, and begin to find our, our, our identity as one who is loved fully by God. And I don't have to scramble to prove my identity through my occupation. Once I can get there, I can begin to really choose wisely in security. So find yourself anchored in Christ, secure in that. You know, this, uh, at one point the psalmist says, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in a tent of the wicked, which were nice tents. I'll just be a doorman. Welcome to the house of the Lord. I'd rather do that than be the power of person. Right? I think we just need some of that. Okay. Um, let's see. Then, uh, point of intersection. 
intersection. Okay, point of intersection. Uh, it's just can be helpful to discern location by discerning the intersection of where the brokenness, that's your feeling, the brokenness and the needs of others intersect my passions, gifts, and, op and opportunities in front of me. Think of, if you think of your, your career as a place where you serve others via your gifts and passions, where you can address the brokenness of the world, I think you'll start to discern well. Henry Nouwen talks about discerning the who, the what, and the where. Who am I to serve? What am I to do? And where do I find myself at home? Where, where it just seems to be right. I think if we, we begin to walk through that, uh, we begin to discern carefully and, and wisely. You know, so maybe you like to work with marginalized, disadvantaged people, and you really like young people, and you feel good at teaching. Well, that starts to narrow it down for you, doesn't it? You begin to have a sense of where the Lord might lead you. Maybe you enjoy working with other cultures, and you're skilled and passionate about finance, and you love to travel. Well, maybe you're supposed to go into international business and finance. It's discerning where your passion is and how can I serve God in that. I realized after teaching high school, and I, and I taught for a little bit as an English teacher, I actually preferred older people, just a little bit older, but not too old. And college students really seem to fit the bill. And I have the disposition of a pastor's heart, and I enjoy the academic setting. Aha, college ministry. Oh, you know, so kind of discerning those things. And the last thing, and then we'll go to Q&A, is keep things in perspective. I think it's, it's helpful to not make decisions of vocation as if they were the one, the final monumental choice that's going to last for the entirety of your life. I just put so much weight on, on this vocational decision. Sometimes it's kind of, we, we kind of grow greater clarity as we go. We begin to, to, we do a thing for a while, we discern this part of it I like, and this isn't so much, I'm not, I'm not wired for this. And, and, and so we, it's a process, right? It's a process. And, and maybe by the time you're my age, you figure it out a little bit, okay? Um, you might have the right who, but the wrong what, or the wrong where in all of this. And so I think that's just helpful to realize it's a bit of a journey. Most jobs aren't forever. Um, you know, they're just not forever. Yeah, I sure can. Let's see. Um, uh, you might have, is it, uh, you need to test you might have the right who but the wrong what. Or you might, not, might need to rethink the where. Is that what you were looking for? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Now one says, the questions are, who am I to serve? What am I to do? And where do I find myself at home? Meaning, where do I, I, I this just seems to fit who I am. Discern who you're to serve, what you're to do, and where you're to do it. Those become helpful. A really, again, a couple of good books. You know, The Voice of Jesus, he has a whole section on vocational discernment. And Henry Nowen just talks about how he left the, the Ivy League lecture scene of, of Yale and Princeton um, and Harvard and went to work with uh, disabled people in, in La Arche, a community for disabled people, and became basically their pastor. Very different setting. And he talks about his journey, how he heard God's voice and, and teaching him. But it took some steps. He spent a year in South America working with marginalized people. Knew he liked to work with marginalized people. But he needed to be in North America. He knew that. 
and, and then he discerned that this, this other setting was going to work for him. So again, you can follow up on these, these books will be helpful. Okay. Um, ultimately, I want to say this. Um, ultimately, seeing your discerning vocation, not through a financial lens or lens of status or an accomplishment, but as a process of, of growing a deeper devotion and obedience to Christ. If you can think of your vocation that way, you're going to be in a good place. I'm trying to just become obedient to Christ. I'm not going to think about it in terms of finances or status, but obedience. And then just trusting God, you know, having the perspective you can trust God's providential movement in your life. Either we're on our own and it's all up to us to figure this out, or in fact God is speaking to us. He is superintending the circumstances of our lives, and he knows how to get us where he wants us, and we can trust him in that if we will take time to submit and yield to him and listen to him. Okay, time for Q&A. Here we go. So we'll just take a few and we'll end up at nine and be done. So here they come. So we'll see what kind of questions we get to go at. So how do you guys want to do this? You want me? Yeah, because we're. Oh, I thought you guys were gonna help me answer. Oh, okay. I'm on my own. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Great. Oh, man. That's a, ah, such a great question. Oh, my goodness. Yes. We, we have all the external noise, but the problem is once we get away from all that, there's all this internal noise. Am I, am I standing in the way? Okay. Yeah. So what do we do? how do we get away from the internal noise? Once we get away from the external noise, how do we get away from the internal noise of all of our distracting thoughts and things, you know, uh, one one person likened it to a, uh, a monkey jumping around, a bunch of monkeys in a banana tree just jumping around going crazy. And that's what it feels like on the inside. Just and everything's I'm like, you've got to do this, and I'm freaking out about this, and you know, I don't want to think about that. And How do we find a place of, of kind of quieting the inner distractions? Um, well, one, it, it, it does, it takes, it takes time. Um, at some point, Initially, you just have to kind of go, I'm just going to be here, and the monkeys are going to jump around in my brain, and it's okay. It's okay. The Lord's just happy I'm here. Okay? And I think you have to, a lot of people run away from solitude because of that right away. They go, this is, this is I can't stand it. Uh, this is, I had one of my guys I, I discipled who's like, I just am afraid to be alone because of all this stuff that comes up. And so just... Even sometimes physically posturing yourself may be helpful because our, 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 our spirits, our soul kind of follow, you know, the body can help get our inner life into a place of posture. So sometimes even a physical thing can be helpful for centering ourselves a bit without being weird about it, but just kind of centering ourselves. Um, sometimes having, um, these are more practical things, you just got to work through it and not be scared or think that's weird or unusual. That's very normal. Um, and it takes time to kind of just let the monkeys settle down after a while. You know, they eventually will settle down, okay? Um, but then having um, maybe a, a, 
simple a verse or phrase that kind of helps you focus, you know, could be anything like the Lord is my shepherd. And you just and you just say it again. The Lord is my shepherd. And I would say it again, you know. And it, it's a kind of more contemplative prayer, and which is hard for us evangelicals. We don't do that very much. But, there's, you know, these come out of more of the monastic traditions. But they're very helpful. I would encourage you, read, get that book. I put it in the, 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 when we were doing the, the Time of Silence, The Way of the Heart by Henry Mellon. Talks a lot about that. How do we settle the inner distractions? Um, so having something like like that maybe is helpful. That kind of focuses our mind. Um, maybe having a little bit of a game plan when you go in. Like I'm going to take you know X amount of time in this scripture. Then I'm going to take a couple minutes to be quiet, and then I'm going to you know uh, maybe journal a little bit. Have just real simple, but a little bit of game plan may be helpful for the inner distractions. And then even talking to God about the inner distractions. Like, okay, let's deal with it. The monkey's jumping around. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. So let's talk about this monkey. Maybe the monkey is my dating life. Or maybe the monkey is, you know, this, this I don't know, you know, this, this test I have. I'll write it down. I have a test. Okay, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me about this? Besides the fact that it's running around my brain, just driving me nuts. And, and so inviting them into it. So those might be a few things that help us in our distraction. But a lot of it is just learning to, to kind of push through it a bit, realize it's normal. And eventually, I think it does start to settle in. We, we are very, at times, uncomfortable with silence. There a lot of times, the reason we don't do it is because of that. And it makes us feel very, you know, disconcerted. And so we, we flee from it. And the Lord just wants to invite us into it, and he'll meet us there. So. Okay, and for clarity, we got a ton of questions that we're not going to be able yeah. to touch, so we're not going to you know. Yep. Um, so how can we be discerning God's voice from maybe chance or coincidences? Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, how do you discern God's voice from chance or coincidences? Um, you know, and initially I think of, because sometimes people say, well, the, the, the open door, it's God's leading, you know? So, and then what I would say is, okay, well, think about David when Saul was chasing him, right? And, and David had been promised to be king, and he'd, he'd been anointed king, but Saul was still king, and Saul was crazy, and Saul was trying to kill him. And there's a point where David's in the cave, I don't know if you know the story, and Saul goes in, he's been chasing David. Saul doesn't know that David's in the cave. Saul's going in there to go to the bathroom. It's kind of an awkward, like, ooh, that's weird. Okay? And so he's, and, and David's right there while uh, Saul's doing his business. And, and the, the person who's with David is like, the Lord's given him into your hand. Like, you should, you know, it, it, he'll, never, he'll never wake up from, from doing his business, you know? And, and David just, it was an opportunity that was given to him, right? He could have discerned the Lord has given me this opportunity. It's, a, it's an open door, you know. But he, he had already known what the Lord had said to him, that, you know, that he wasn't to seize the throne by violence, but that God would bring him in, in in the right time. And so he did. You know, far be it from me to lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. I won't do such a thing. And he had two opportunities like that when you read David's story. 
And so all that is just because there's an open door, that doesn't mean it's from the Lord. We actually have to discern whether the opportunity is from the Lord or not. I can't tell you how many times, you know, uh, maybe some, uh, this has happened a few times where a person has uh, really called to do our internship or, you know, apprenticeship. And as soon as they signed up, got approved to do it, they would just get this sweet, amazing job offer. I mean, it's, it's almost uncanny. It's like, I just got this sweet job offer. Uh, now, I already committed myself to do this. I kind of, you know, told the staff I'm coming, but I got this job offer. <gasps> maybe it's the Lord. And I think maybe it's the devil. Because I think it was. It is. Because you had already committed yourself. And you knew the Lord had spoke to you here, but now you're being, in a sense, tempted. So, um, I don't, I, that probably doesn't answer the question. Chance, I, you, theologically, I mean, where do you go with chance? I mean, you know, is there ever chance? Is God always in our circumstances? Well, I think he is. Some things might seem a little random, and other times you go, maybe. I would want you to default that God's, God's probably maybe at least trying to say something to me in this coincidence or in this, this seemingly random chance or opportunity. Um, what is it you're trying to say, Lord? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I think even if we just stopped and did that, we might begin to have some sense of clarity in our mind. So, okay, that's my answer to that one. Yep. Yeah, right. Oh, I love that. What if you think, two people think God is telling them opposite things, right? And this is, you know, uh, um, you know, the classic is, well, the Lord, the Lord told me that we're to be married. Well, he didn't tell me, you know. So, um, uh, but, it, I mean, that's a fun version of it, you know. Um, and as long as he's, he hasn't told me, it ain't happened. So there you go. Um, but it happened in the, it happened, uh, in the scripture, right? Um, the, the argument that Paul and Barnabas had about whether they were going to take Mark with them on their missionary journey. So I don't know where it's an ax somewhere. Somebody can find it and tell us. But they had such a severe disagreement. And I'm assuming you're hoping that he prayed about it, right, and had a sense of God's leading. And this is the Apostle Paul. And this is Barnabas, right? I mean, these are, these are pillars of our, our faith. And, and they could not figure it out. And so Paul's like, well, I'm not taking Mark. So see you later. And Barnabas is like, well, I'm taking Mark. So see you later. Off they go. I mean, oh, the, the scripture is just so, you know it wasn't made up because you wouldn't put that in there if you're trying to put this great, you know, look how wonderful, you know, they just put everything out there. So now in the end, um, we'll find out that, I think it's in the end of Colossians, that in fact, Mark has come back into Paul's good graces. And Mark, I think uh, Paul affirms Mark's ministry and, and his, his work with him. And that was after this. And so obviously, Obviously, the Apostle Paul was wrong, and Barnabas was right. Perhaps. At least Colossians almost makes us think that way. So um, I, at those points, I think, one, it's wise to have other people in the discussion. If, if, you know, if it's two people really who have a significant role, at times it's, it's wisdom to bring, you know, in the abundance of many counselors is victory, is what Proverbs says. So get a lot of counselors in on that. 
And then I think there has to be some, and maybe somebody even help me tease out what are the motivations going on here. Because a lot of times we don't, we're blind at parts, to, you know, we have blind spots in our own life and what, what's driving us and to think away and think we're hearing a certain thing. And we need some other people to be able to speak into that and help us discern it. And so probably inviting some other people into it uh, would be, would, which probably what I would do is say, well, let's get somebody else who's wise and we both respect and see what, how they can help us negotiate. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, David. That was awesome.